decoded the intel from the First Order spy, and it confirms the worst. Somehow Palpatine returned. He's been planning his revenge. His followers have been building something for years. The largest fleet the galaxy's ever known. He calls it the Final Order. Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. Uh, this is this is terrific. You're not going to believe how well this is going to turn out. It's going to be great. Hosted by Arnie. Good to see you too, old buddy. Stuart. You know what you are? What? You're difficult. Really difficult. You? You're a difficult man. And Jacob. We go together. <laughs> this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. Last shot, maybe forever. Listener discretion is advised. This will be the final word in the story of Skywalker. Today we're discussing Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Starring Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Anthony Daniels, Naomi Aki, Dom Hall Gleason, Richard E. Grant, Lupita Nyong'o, Carrie Russell, Junis Suotamo, Kelly Marie Tran, with Ian McDermott, and Billy D. Williams, directed by J.J. Abrams. This is Arnie, and I am all the podcasters. Yippee! It's Stuart. You going back to the Phantom Menace? I, don't I did go back to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> hey, this is the co-host who is every voice you've ever heard in your head, Jacob. Man, it must be a good time to be a Star Wars fan, guys. You guys <laughs> got it all. Disney has really built this empire. There's a theme park attraction. Galaxy's Edge has opened in both Disney World, Disneyland. There's this flagship Disney Plus TV series online streaming with the new Boba Fett show. Video game I hear, Fallen Order is really great. A new movie to cap it all. What more could a fan want? This should be the year of Star Wars, and I do think it is dwarfed in the shadow of Avengers. I think the biggest problem of Disney-era Star Wars is too many cooks in the kitchen. You've got so many directors being replaced. And here, we'll talk about it in just a couple minutes with Rise of Skywalker. We were supposed to say directed by Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> He's got a writing credit. And I do think that, yes, the problem with Star Wars is its own success. It isn't measured on the standards of other franchises. It has to be the biggest, the best, the original. And matching up what you thought was the greatest movie in your mind as a child is a loser's game. I mean, I think middle age is always about that. And so I feel bad for anyone that has the task of trying to make this go forward. But particularly J.J. Abrams, who is not a director known for bringing the ending together. You know, like Lost, <laughs> everyone loved it at first and nobody talks about it now. He is really great at teasing mysteries like David Lynch. I mean, yeah, great at setting up the mystery Oh, wait, you mean I got to explain it now in two hours and be done? Uh-uh, not his bag. And here, J.J. came on. He was going to do one film, and it was always planned that Ryan Johnson was going to do part two. I re-listened to our old podcast, and I had said I had understood that Johnson was going to do the third one, too. I mean, why wouldn't you want a cohesive vision? But no, they were going to Jurassic World. Came out the same year as The Force Awakens. Colin Trevorrow, and... Man, did this guy have ambition. Did you know this? I didn't. But The Hollywood Reporter came out. 
he was going to shoot in outer space. He was going to get actual footage in outer space for this movie. Okay. I mean, <laughs> sure. Somebody needs to do it. I, that seems like a plan. that y- They have the money to do it. Disney could probably fund that. Yeah. I mean, the next Disneyland has to be a space station. <laughs> he chose to leave the project due to those wonderful, omnipresent... Man, I don't know how Hollywood continues to exist as a city with all the creative differences going on there. Now, his name does remain in the credits story by i see him and his co-screenwriter that he always works with are still here i don't do we know our bits and pieces of what we're watching his vision just not in space as far as i can tell there's none of his vision here you bring in jj much like with the force awakens jj didn't go with anything lucas gave him but this is J.J. returning. How was your theater experience? Were people excited? I sat next to a Darth Vader and a woman who really <laughs> let me know what fangirls were feeling. Like, I was really happy that she interacted with the screen so I knew how things were playing. I was surprised. I went to a Thursday showing about 9 o'clock at night, packed shoulder to shoulder, and I thought it was a very subdued crowd. Like, even the applause. Like, in L.A., we love cheering at the end of films, and even that seemed very subdued. But, yeah, there's people, there, there was laughs. I could tell when jokes were hitting or not. I went three times. Wow. Okay. I went opening night. The next day, I went to IMAX 3D. I already planned that. The only screenings where I could get tickets were 3D by the end. We're still doing 3D films. Yeah. 3D IMAX had one showing a day, and there's a digital 3D non-IMAX that's showing on one screen. It's the only screen not sold out. Now, the third time I saw it was the most excited audience. It was Friday night at 7 o'clock. You know, that's when you're going to get your biggest audience. A lot of people still don't want to go out on Thursday night to see a movie. And I saw it twice. I saw it both times in 3D IMAX, uh, Thursday night, and then actually one of your shows, Arnie, on Friday. But Arnie, let's do it. Let's hear what the last episode of the Star Wars saga is all about. How does Skywalker rise? About a year after the events of The Last Jedi, this movie starts with the Resistance in near ruins. But Resistance spies have learned. Emperor Sheev Palpatine is alive hiding out on the hidden Sith world of Exegol, and again played by Ian McDermott. The Emperor calls Kylo Ren, formerly known as Ben Solo, son of Han Solo and Leia Organa, again played by Adam Driver, who's now supreme leader of the First Order. Palpatine reveals he created Snoke as a test tube baby, and Palpatine had been behind the First Order. He has thousands of Star Destroyers, each with a planet-destroying laser gun, and he'll give them to Kylo Ren to rule the galaxy if Kylo Ren will first kill Rey. Rey has been training in the ways of the Force. She knows Luke had been close to finding Exegol, but to get there, she needs a Sith MacGuffin called a Sith Wayfinder. She goes off to find it in the Millennium Falcon, joined by Chewbacca, Poe Dameron, and Finn, the latter two played again by Oscar Isaac and John Boyega, respectively. Story beats happen, a MacGuffin becomes a different MacGuffin becomes a different MacGuffin. (laughs) I know we're going to go into it, but for the sake of brevity, they meet up with Lando, Rey loses control of the Force, she shoots Force lightning, thinking she killed Chewbacca, but spoiler alert, she didn't kill Chewbacca. They have to wipe 3PO's memory, so he'll translate Sith text and tell them where the Wayfinder is, but that doesn't matter because 3PO gets his memory restored later on, (laughs) and the Wayfinder is in the crashed Death Star on an ocean moon of Endor, not the forest moon of Endor, a totally different moon. Oh, I didn't understand that. Okay. (laughs) No Ewoks were hurt by that Death Star falling. (laughs) 
There, Ray gets the Sith Wayfinder they've searched for the entire time, but Kylo Ren shows up and destroys it. They duel. From afar, Leia, played by Carrie Fisher, posthumously, and I think a body double in a lot of shadowy shots. Mm-hmm. Leia projects herself to Kylo Ren. The strain of it kills Leia, but it gives Rey the moment she needs to impale Kylo Ren on a lightsaber. Then, Rey uses the Force to heal Kylo Ren so he doesn't die. Devastated at her loss of control, she steals Ren's TIE Fighter and flees to exile on Octu. Kylo Ren is visited by a ghost or a memory or... They just want to bring Harrison Ford back, so he shows up. And with this, Kylo Ren is no more. Ben Skywalker is back and on the side of good. And on Octu, Rey meets Luke Skywalker's ghost, who gives her Leia's lightsaber and says, Rey, you must confront the Emperor which you can do using the Sith Wayfinder that happens to be in that ship you stole from Kylo Ren. So she goes to Exegol and leaves tracking marks so the Resistance, now led by General Poe and General Finn, can follow. Lando and Chewbacca go to get people help, while Poe and Finn lead the attack on Exegol. Rey faces Palpatine, who wants her to kill him. If she does, his spirit will leave his broken body and be in her as Empress Palpatine. She's stopped by Ben Solo, who came to save her. And Rey and Ben are something called a Jedi Dyad. The Emperor can drain their life to restore his own withered body, and then he throws Ben off a cliff. But Rey stands firm against the Emperor using Luke and Leia's lightsaber to reflect the Emperor's force lightning back at him. The Emperor is disintegrated, but Rey dies from the effort. Ben comes back from the bottomless pit and uses the force to bring Rey back to life, and they share a passionate kiss as Ben dies. Meanwhile, Lando got a bunch of ships to show up, and the Rebel fleet destroys all the Final Order destroyers. The galaxy celebrates as Rey goes to Tatooine. She buries Luke's and Leia's lightsabers in Luke's old homestead. She's built her own yellow lightsaber. And when some nosy old lady shows up and says, Who are you? Rey says she is Rey Skywalker. And credits roll. And as we start, we, they do as they always do, a long time ago, galaxy far, far away. And the opening crawl starts, the dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. Don't you want to hear that message? Don't you want to see what people do when Palpatine speaks? Yeah, you, you know what would have been awesome if this trilogy was planned because uh, the first act of this film is how The Last Jedi should have ended, like if, if this was going to be the conclusion. Like, yeah, that is the teaser is you hear Palpatine speak at the end of The Last Jedi or whatever you call that middle film. That is the cliffhanger. That's to tell you, oh, this is why I want to come back. Well, they have that message. You have to play Fortnite to hear it. Oh, Jesus. I'm not kidding. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Last Monday, a video game show aired and showed footage of Star Wars Fortnite. And you get Ian McDermott. You hear his message. At last, the work of generations is complete. The great error is corrected. The day of victory is at hand. The day of revenge. The day of the Sith. Uh, you know, here's the thing. By the way the title describes it as we they hear this broadcast, I immediately go to, okay, it's not really the Emperor. 
This is all a sham. In the same way that Ben Solo was masquerading and trying to be Darth Vader, someone, maybe Hux, is masquerading <laughs> and trying to be the Emperor, and he will be exposed. That will be the, one of the big twists of this movie, is that we can't bring back the past and that this is a pretender. No, 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 Stuart. They're going to show you Palpatine right away. Like You're going to see he is real. There is no mystery that he is back. It was a surprise to me that that twist never came. That this really is the guy. And as far as I can tell, someone mentioned something about a clone, but we don't really know why. We're never going to get an explanation for why he's here. There are cloning vats all around him showing a whole bunch of Snokes, including having all those scars and injuries Snoke had in these cloning vats. It reminded me of Alien Resurrection, where you see all the Ripley failed cloning attempts. But yeah, you... They never got it right with Snoke, though. Like Alien Resurrection without the coolness or the terror. But is he a clone? They're not going to tell us. There's nothing yet in books that will tell us. Here's what I presume, is that we saw Princess Leia go all Mary Poppins. She flew out into space and was able to pull herself back onto a ship but was injured. This Emperor, he's hooked up to a machine. He's, like, lowering down my... Go-to was the Borg Queen. Remember when the Borg Queen head, like, went into a body? He's just this body that can't even seem to move on a bunch of hypodermic needles. He's missing fingers, and his fingers are all scarred. I think that's from all the force lightning he shot. And somehow, he Mary poppins his way onto a ship and is in hiding. And you know J.J. loves his mystery box, and one of the mysteries is who is Snoke. I think all along that we were going to find out Snoke was Palpatine's apprentice. Yeah, I feel like whatever fan theory you have, it's probably going to be revealed to be true in this. Like, Snoke, oh, was he a clone of the Emperor to maintain control? Yeah, that like, that's what I would have guessed. And yep, here it is. And maybe that's a course correction. Maybe that's them trying to get fans back on their side. It's going to appease those most basic of theories. It's very simple. And I feel that way about the titling in general, unlike episode one, where I'm like, wait, tax laws? What's going on here? <laughs> Like, they just make it real simple. If you don't remember much about The Last Jedi or, or haven't been keeping tabs, I do think you're oriented pretty cleanly to a story that is walk in and follow. I like Exegol, like this Sith planet, whatever it is. I don't know if there's a history of this, but that the spirits of all the Sith are there. It feels very fan fiction, but the way Kylo Ren has to walk underneath the pyramid, it almost feels like Blade Runner. And I kind of dig this planet, even though it's pretty crazy seeing all this black magic occult stuff basically going on in the Star Wars film. But because it's Sith, I dig it. And it feels different enough that I'm like, okay, yeah, let's explore this. I love the Emperor's headquarters there because there's this giant trapezoid. At first, I thought it might be like a sand crawler it's this huge floating building we never go in it's just floating there it reminded me of something like you'd buy at sharper image you know those little floating toys that have magnets yes. <laughs> anti-gravity sphere yeah yeah and is it supposed to be a threat that it could fall on you at any moment it's open just tall enough for adam driver who is a tall man to walk under and we get down there we see the emperor I thought he was a deadite. I mean, he's got those milky eyes, yeah. and I feel like J.J. is taking some Sam Raimi here. He's showing the Emperor only with strobe lights and quick cuts and quick zooms. Yeah, the Emperor has always been from something of a horror movie. I, Linda Blair in The Exorcist or Death in Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Here he has the final order, and it's thousands and thousands of Star Destroyers. Do they all come out of the ice? Like, does he raise them up? Were they all hiding under the ice? And they had crew. 
So, like, there were people under the... They have crew with new uniforms. Like, somewhere he was getting red Stormtrooper armor manufactured. (laughs) There's so many logistical questions. He has all these ships. You know, we were complaining there are too many Death Stars. We had two Death Stars in the original, and then the droid ship. Oh, boy. Wait for this one. We had Starkiller Base. Here... JJ's just going to say, screw it. There are thousands of Death Stars. Each of these has a Death Star laser. You don't even need a moon-sized base anymore. You just throw that gun on a ship. Yeah, but you know, that is the history of technology. A mainframe computer used to take up an entire room, and now it's your watch. That seems logical. After enough time, the power of the Death Star can be reduced to a cannon on a ship. Miniaturization. I'll go with it. Okay, logical, maybe, but satisfy. It's just really, we're going to do another planet killer weapon that we have to destroy. I, I guess that is what this overall nine part trilogy is about lasers that blow up planets. Yeah, the Emperor can't let go of a bad idea. It never works, but I'm going to keep doing it, damn it. And you know, that is the history of success, too. We can look at it as a series of failures, but Thomas Edison failed many times before he invented things. I mean, this could be the plan to finally get right. He needs a Vader to lead it. What's interesting is we know from Kylo Ren, he has no interest in joining the old. He's all about reinventing the world in his image and burning the past. He doesn't want to join the Emperor. That was very clear in Last Jedi. Like, let's make something new. And he still has that idea in his head. Mm, he still wants to be a fascist in charge of the galaxy. Like, I don't know if it's that new. Well, yeah, he still wants control. That much is true. But I don't think he likes the idea of having to sit in someone else's chair. And so when he's making this pact with the Emperor and, yeah, he's going to kill the girl, we'll see pretty clearly. He has no ambition to kill Rey. He wants to use her power to hold sway over the universe and kill the old farts like the Emperor. But for some reason... In order to serve the Emperor, he's got to get those Knights of Ren back, and somebody picked up all of those pieces of his helmet that he smashed in The Last Jedi. Was that a chimp, like, from Planet of the Apes? It was Caesar! I mean, I swear to God, they went to the ILM banks and are like, what do we got? We got Caesar. All right, let's put long ears and a mask on him, and Caesar will fix this helmet. Look, I'd be totally down. I want that to be a character in Star Wars. Just have it be an actual monkey with a space helmet on. Let's do it. (laughs) So he's clinging to this identity, this silly identity that, again, I've always liked what Adam Driver has done in this series in the fact that he has not been able to be legit. That his struggles for legitimacy feel like the struggles of this whole trilogy. JJ, I'm trying to live up to Lucas. I'm trying to be what you loved in the past and knowing that I'm a fake and on some level hating myself for putting on the outfit. Yeah, this is a big debate I have with my wife because she just doesn't like Adam Driver as an actor. And I'm like, okay, but I love Kylo Ren. Like, that is the best part of the sequel trilogy, that he is the Vader that feels the pull from the light side. And yeah, that he's a cosplayer and and kind of a poser. I I like all that stuff. And so I'm glad to see that continue here. Now he's, yeah, he's going back into the cosplay with his new helmet. He's got his cosplay buddies because everyone is upset that the Knights of Ren didn't show up. So JJ's like, okay, I'll give you that fan service too. We're going to see the Knights of do mm, pretty much nothing. Adam Driver is an actor I've really come to respect. He's good. Where I didn't know him when episode seven came out because I didn't watch Girls. But since then, 
Logan Lucky, Black Klansman. You know, if you're going to see one Adam Driver movie this weekend, go see A Marriage Story. It's amazing. Yeah, he's going to win the Oscar. I think it's his year. He's also in The Report streaming on Amazon, and he was in the Jarmusch film that came out earlier. Like, yeah, he's having a big moment, and he is a really good dramatic actor, and I like his interpretation of, of having the weight on your shoulders of being greater than what you feel you are. He's my favorite character in this movie. I think he's the best performance in this movie. He has the biggest arc and transformation also in this movie. But here in the beginning, I just think he's showing a great physicality with the lightsaber stuff. And I'm disappointed that we don't get to see him because he goes back under the mask for so much. You know, they say that the tools of an actor are very much their eyes. I remember hearing LeVar Burton complain about that. Not complain, but it was a challenge to him playing Jordy LaForge. You had to cover his eyes. And so losing Adam Driver's very expressive face, I'm glad it didn't go for the rest of the film. But we do cut in between Ren's return to the dark side to see what's going on. Finn and Chewbacca and Poe are getting information from a spy that Palpatine's alive. They're finding out as we are. They believe they're meeting with a spy, and they find out that, like, in this world, we still don't have the cloud. They have to, like, throw down a DSL cable and <laughs> hook it to R2, and some guy named Bulio is going to basically get beheaded for passing them along this information. His repayment, just win the war, and we're... In another J.J. Abrams movie, people are going to be running, flying, screaming, shooting for 90 minutes of two hours. I felt like it was the first act was just a video game. It's like, go to this planet and get this. Now go to this planet and get this. Now go to this planet and talk to this person. It's mission after mission, like you're playing a video game. Why can't we just know that he's at this planet? Why do we need to spend all of this time running around to and fro, other than the obvious answer of it's exciting? It's J.J. I had this comment back when we reviewed his first Star Wars film, is that there's things that don't make sense, but they're just running from place to place and shouting and screaming the whole time. And it's exciting if you're not thinking about it. And I found this great quote that Chris Pine said. It was on that first Star Trek film. He had to run in and scream at a blue screen. And he said to J.J., can I have a little more time for this scene? I don't know what I'm saying. Can you help me understand what my character is saying? And J.J.'s response, and this is a direct quote, it doesn't matter. You just run on. You say it as fast and earnestly and urgently as possible, and no one is going to care. Yeah, but isn't that the success of what Lucas did with the original Star Wars? Faster, more intense. Run around the Death Star, yell weird space dialogue about the technology, and it's fun. Like, it's not great art, but it's fun. It's something I cherish for my childhood, the feelings that film gives me. And yeah, I don't need it to make 100% sense. I want it to be fun. But this just feels, again, it is planet after planet after planet, object and contact after object and contact, dancing aliens. It's just all over the place. It's what's referred to as a shaggy dog story. It's the idea that uh, it really doesn't matter why you end up from frying pan to fire. It's the delight in watching people have misfortune 
and pull themselves out. And you're right, absolutely. When you look at the original trilogy, it was filled with lingo that didn't have explanation. They referred to Clone Wars and things, and and we could only imagine what all that was. And when Lucas got burdened with having to answer all of that, I think that's where Star Wars got into problems. When they had to explain the backstory, why things happen, and where it all you know came from, that's not been the forte of this saga at all. No, but I agree with you, Jacob, in A New Hope. What I love about that movie is it's almost nonstop action, but it's always motivated action that matters. And a lot of the stuff with JJ from the stupidity of why Spock ejects Kirk to die on an ice planet in the first Star Trek movie to this is that a lot of it isn't motivated. I may not know what a clone war is, and I may not know about the tractor beams main reactors, but I understand as a child everything that each group of people on the Death Star are trying to do. We're rescuing the princess. I'm making it so we can escape on our ship. And while I may not follow every piece of terminology, the motivations and the lines are very clear. Here, Yeah, I also thought about a video game because they're getting a message and the message is going to lead to a ship and the ship is going to lead to a dagger and the dagger is going to lead to a wayfinder. That doesn't matter. Everything about this movie that frustrates me is how little any of it matters and yet how fervently J.J. is saying it. I will give The Last Jedi this. When Ryan Johnson says, burn it all down, it doesn't matter. Like, I feel Ryan Johnson really believes that. When the second Sith Wayfinder gets crushed in this one, it's like, oh, well, there's a ship with another one in there. Like, it's it's just like, oh, so you're just wasting my time is what you're doing. To some directors, wasting your time is what they're here to do. I'm light entertainment. I just want to have fun. We're not here to meditate, to go deep, to have some kind of intense experience. I'm just here to pass a few hours with you watching people fall off cliffs and then save themselves and what have you. And I do think that Star Wars is best when it does that. Yeah, I just wish it was cleaner. I just wish we weren't spending so much time jumping around to locations going after MacGuffins. Yeah, don't emotionally manipulate me in a way where it's obvious manipulation. If you're going to tell me a story and waste my time through that entertainment, that's great. But here, the first time I watched this movie, I knew I had to see it at least twice for this review because they're running from place to place and it starts here with this message and they're getting MacGuffin after MacGuffin. And I'm like, wait, why did that matter? Why did this matter? And in the end, everything gets reversed and none of it does really matter except we're seeing a little bit of Ray's character evolution. If there's a main story here, it is Ray's. Yeah, you're right. And I just want to point out in the prequel trilogy, none of the Clone Wars and droids versus what were they? Clones. Yeah, clones. There we go. (laughs) I couldn't even remember it. None of that matters either. Again, this is my point. It is all predicated on how much fun you have in these moments. So yeah, that's the way I will look at the sequencing of events, not as an entertaining plot. It is not. It is not building on anything. It is running in a circle. The less you think during this movie, 
the more fun you'll have because JJ is going to make you think it's exciting. He's going to make you think the stakes are high. He's going to constantly have people shout exclamations at you that make you think everything's important. I dread reading the novelization of this that is coming because (laughs) nothing's gonna matter. If you take away John Williams' score, which is really good here, I like the music in this one a lot, and you take away the sound effects and the rapid cutting and, oh, the lens flares, so many lens flares, what's left? But I want to I dig in on this with you, Arnie. Like, you'll agree that was always the case, right? You're, you're making it seem like, well, J.J. did this. Lucas did this. He's not worse at it than Lucas in the prequels. He's not. Than the prequels. I, I, that's an important uh, asterisk to put on that comment. Yes, I agree. I'm underlining the prequels specifically. The original trilogy is its own thing. And I want to point out that I have put the sequels on par with the prequels. As I said, episode seven was as good as the prequels, not as good as the originals. There is no other Star Wars movie, including The Force Awakens, where I can think of so many missions that matter so little. That's what I'm saying. The problem with the prequels, by and large, was poor acting and dull scripts. Here, there's nothing dull, but it is empty. What about Ryan Johnson? I mean, was that, did that, any of that matter? Oh, absolutely. Really? Because I feel like they do all they can to tell you, you can skip that film, guys. We know there's a big backlash against it. So here's the real part two. And it's also a part three. All I'm trying to get at is that I feel like you're attacking the movie for being untethered from anything substantial. But I feel like if you were to extract a lot of the adventures, they're episodic. A lot of what the people do is detached from meaning. It is about wild goose chases and shaggy dog stories. Yeah, but I feel like if this was Lucas, they would find that dagger pretty quickly and move on. Like, it takes a long time to figure out what that dagger does and where to go. And uh, I saw the trailer. I know we're going to Endor. Look, I'll jump ahead. We don't need all of this. It is not satisfying for me to spend all of that time chasing a dagger that leads to a place that leads to a place that isn't where I want to spend my time. But it is where Star Wars has always found its greatest successes. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if it, to this extent, though, that this spends a lot of time going place to place. Yeah. Typically, in a Lucas film, there are three planets. Yes. Except for Revenge of the Sith, there's a lot of planets, but that's because they're covering a huge war. Here, it's just planet to planet to planet to planet. There's too many shifts, and Lucas never undoes himself the way J.J. does. I mean, I can make you a list of how things don't matter in this film. It's frustrating how hollow this film is, whereas I felt, even in A New Hope, yes, there's a lot of running, and there's a lot of MacGuffins, and Princess Leia's a MacGuffin, but I always feel like each segment of that movie changes the characters. Here, I feel like we get the same beats hammered at us again and again. I think J.J. could have edited a half an hour out of this movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. But Stuart, to your point, I like Star Wars. I, I like seeing these characters run around and do stuff. I realize, to your point, Arnie, that it's it's pretty much hollow and it's fun in the moment. I realize it's hollow, but I like the Star Wars universe. I like being back here, so I'm going with it. But I'm also old enough to know that this is not high art. Fair enough. And, you know, where it always seems to have found meaning, the hero's journey is about the main character. And one of the things that's hard in this new trilogy is to settle, settle on one. I mean, that is one thing that is abundantly clear by trying to get the old cast and bring in new characters. It's really part of the problem with Last Jedi and why it's so bloated and long is like, there's just too many people on screen. I need less of all of this. But if there is an important one, we all know it, it's got to be Ray. And when we see Ray here, her struggle is that 
I'm trying to summon the old Jedi, and I can't hear them. They're not with me. Well, they summoned the old Jedi Leia. They brought her back. <laughs> yeah, remember remember how people were upset? Leia is a Jedi too. Why isn't she doing Force stuff? Okay, well, here you go. Here's that fan service. For me, it's always been weird to think of, like, Leia never did any martial arts, and now all of a sudden people are turning to her to, like, how do I walk across a tightrope blindfolded fighting <laughs> an orb that's shooting lasers at me? I wouldn't think that she would know how to do that, but we are, of course, going to get a flashback scene later. We're going to see that she knows everything that Luke did. Yeah, and Carrie Fisher, I think of her as being snarky and funny and witty and bright and a different kind of energy than someone that would be like Ray. And so it's a weird pairing. Yeah, that's why she's a general. That's why she's leading the war side of this battle, not the spiritual side like the Jedi. Mm -hmm. like, and I think that's what J.J. even said when he got that criticism. Why isn't she a Jedi in The Force Awakens? Well, no, her calling is to be this leader, to be this general. Let's call it out, though. She doesn't have the physicality. You could paste her face a la Count Dooku onto somebody else's body. But yes, she did pass away right after The Last Jedi. She was supposed to be a major part of this film. It had always been planned. Each of the original three would have their movie. And she had gone to Kathleen Kennedy and was like, well, you gave Harrison his film and you gave Mark his film. Mine better be the third one. And Kennedy said that that was the plan, is this would be hers. I imagine we would have seen her in a lightsaber fight had she not tragically passed away unexpectedly and realistically very young to do so. Yeah, it's an incredible bind that she leaves the filmmakers in and that clearly this is compromised. They had to think of a way to make her still. I think she still is the star of this movie. I was surprised how much she's in this. Yeah, and it is really everyone is showing deference to her power, her command. She represents all that is good that is left of the force, really. And it's a shame that she has to do it all through pensive glares and outtakes where she isn't speaking. Yes, I agree. There's, yeah, she has one moment where, like, she doesn't seem to be looking at Ray, and she says <laughs> something about, she has a line about, like, never underestimate a droid that didn't even feel motivated by what was going on around her. The never underestimate a droid was an outtake you could see on the Blu-ray for episode seven. Oh. And a lot of this is footage they had cut from previous scenes with her. There's one scene where... Ray's like, Leia, I need to talk to you. And then you cut, and Ray is kneeling in front of Leia, and Leia goes, tell me. She was talking to a droid. She, I guarantee you <laughs> okay. it was BB-8 or R2. Yes. The eyeline was down. They're like, okay, Daisy, kneel, let her say tell me, and then stand <laughs> up and we'll finish the scene. There are times when I can't believe how well it works. But there are times where I can't believe that they even bothered to leave the line in. Like Ray, after her training, she goes, it looks like I'm making excuses. And Leia says, don't tell me what things look like. Tell me what they are. You know what it reminds me of is when Mother Soprano died in season three of The Sopranos. And so they took all of this footage of her on the phone and they did, they did better here. I mean, Mother Soprano had a Beetlejuice head in one scene where they just kept taking different cuts. But it was dialogue where you're like, what you're saying doesn't make sense to what's going on around you. And there's one time where Ray is like, I'm going to go on this mission. And Leia says, no. And why not? Why can't she go? Well, we don't have those lines. And she goes, well, I would like your permission, but I'm going to go. You would have gone. And we just get another outtake of Carrie Fisher waiting for somebody to say action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's not seamless. And yet I agree with the choice. 
If the choice was we can either start this movie with the rebel base being bombed and General Leia was inside and she's dead or this, this is the right choice. You're missing option three, CGI. They did that already with Rogue One where we had creepy young Carrie Fisher getting the disc at the end of that movie. They did it with Tarkin. I mean, we'll get young Carrie Fisher in this one too. Yeah, no, I'm not even sure they don't do it for some of the darkened scenes of getting her to bed and all. I mean, I think (laughs) they do a little bit of that, but could they have done a whole performance where she's leading the plot forward in a new direction? Peter Cushing. He wasn't in that much of Rogue One. Enough though to feel like he was an influence on that story. Agree. They could have done it, but I also think J.J. is as much of a sentimentalist that he wouldn't want robots and tech taking away from Carrie's performance. I'm giving options here. What I can say is there's no great answer out of this. I do think he picked the best thing. And one thing I want to really give J.J. a lot of credit for, there's not a crap ton of CGI in this movie compared to most films. He relied a lot on practical costumes, practical puppet effects, and practical Carrie Fisher shots. Right. Is it always perfect? No. I think, honestly, what I'm saying is there's a few lines they could have cut, but they wanted to keep as much of Carrie Fisher in there as possible, even if it led to an awkward exchange that kind of pulled me out of the movie and made me think that line wouldn't be there if Carrie Fisher was alive. And- Carrie Fisher, you said what you think of her. What I think of her as is talkative, very verbal. She was a writer. She was a great interview guest. She was talk, 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 talk. So to see her so silent in this movie, and I wish they could have played up, maybe just had a line of something like, the general's not looking good. Because she's going to die about a third of the way through the movie. If they could have played up, she's sick. She's not talking as much as usual or something. I would have gone with it a little bit more, but... I think of the options, don't have Carrie Fisher in it, CGI Carrie Fisher, or use this footage of Carrie Fisher, they were lucky they had the footage that fit as well as it did. At one point, when they're talking about the Emperor, Leia says, hiding in the shadows, controlling it all this time. I'm like, what a perfect line. That absolutely fits the plot. Yeah, what they were referring to is once they finally, R2 decodes the message that Bulio had given them, and... Here's what I didn't understand. There was a 16 hours put on a clock. We got 16 hours. Until what? Until the Star Destroyers attack. Why don't they just do it now? Because we wouldn't have a movie. No, I just want to underline the point that, okay, that the, these things are arbitrary. Stories here are concocted in a way, contrived to create excitement without being structured plausibly. There's no reason why it's 16 hours. Right, right. I'd, nothing I can see. And at no point did the Emperor tell Kylo Ren, you have 16 hours to kill the desert scavenger. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure why the Emperor would want Kylo Ren to kill the desert scavenger when what he really wants is her brought to him, but... Well, I think that was the ultimate plan and the Emperor foreseeing things is that Kylo going after Rey would lead Rey to finding Palpatine, I I think. Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe that he always wanted Rey and he went about it a roundabout way with Han Solo's son. Like that was the best path through, if not the straightest line. (laughs) Clearly not. You mean like every J.J. story? Yes. Like every J.J. story, it is melodramatic and not very plausible, but exciting maybe we can hope you know who the dark horse is who i love in this movie and he has been so ignored in every movie of the disney era is c3po 
here C-3PO, right here at the briefing, he's like, Exegol is a Sith world. It's not on any charts. He's beginning to actually give useful information. Here's the thing. I mean, they have an opportunity here. that It's it's underlined in many of these early scenes. C-3PO is taken for granted. Nobody, he's not the coolest droid. He's kind of annoying. He always has been. And so people are always kind of rolling their eyes whenever he's piping up with what he's got to share and so, yeah, there's an opportunity later for people to realize what they would lose if he actually wasn't around, but they pull that punch. Here, we just see him saying goodbye to R2-D2, and we think, okay, something dramatic is going to happen to him. He always seems to get hurt. Well, yeah, almost every movie, he has a different piece of, uh, you know, his. he's got a red arm, or he gets blown apart, or, you know, th- there's always something happening to him in the movies. But here, he actually compliments R2, because, I mean, they always had the Laurel and Hardy thing, where he's like, you overweight glob of grease. But here, he's like, you've been a real friend. My best one, in fact, and R2 gets the little moment of, like, rocking back and forth. It's like, oh, you actually said something nice for a change. You know who really gets put in the friend zone, though? Rose. (laughs) Oh, my God. Everyone, we need to go do this. We only got 16 hours. Not you. You go look at Specs of Destroyers. Rose doesn't have a role in this film. It feels like they threw her in here just to kind of stick it to those very critical Last Jedi people. There's a lot of characters here in the background. They brought in Dominic Monaghan from Lord of the Rings and Lost. <laughs> yeah. Every If you've ever been on a J.J. show and you had a supporting <laughs> role, there, there's another guy from Alias, the snarky guy that's like, okay, I won't be cynical about all of this. Snap Wexley, he was in Seven, too. Yes. If you work with J.J., Felicity has to be why Carrie Russell is here. And Mission Possible 3 had Carrie Russell in it. Let's not forget. I did. (laughs) I think Rose works well in that robust group of supporting characters that you might not even know their names from this one, yet she's there. Like Carrie Fisher, there's no great choice. I mean, Rose wasn't a JJ character. He obviously has no love for the character. Finn obviously has no love for the character. (laughs) Yeah. He spends the whole movie wanting to tell how much he loves Rey uh, and wants to be with her. And yeah, it's clear. I mean, Rose like nearly killed herself driving into him. So because she was protecting what she loves and she's not going to let him kill himself. And yeah, it's so unfortunately you've set up this painful, painful circuit. It feels like a John Hughes movie of like Ducky, (laughs) the popular dude is never going to like you and you're just you have to give it up here so it's kind of cute in some ways there's something about rose that really does break my heart and i think oh poor you but couldn't like anthony michael hall at the end of 16 candles couldn't rose kiss dominic monaghan or something just so she could have somebody she does she ends up with chewbacca look at the victory scene that's who she's with i'm like of course that's exactly how that would go it was either that or c3po I definitely feel like Finn is still pining for Rey, and Rey probably does have something for him, but one, Jedis aren't supposed to have lovers, right? Like, they're supposed to be monastic. That's the old way, and we see it didn't really work out for them. The entire Jedi Order fell. But more importantly, uh, Rey has a, a real obsession with this offer on the table that Kylo Ren is always making about come to the dark side. And so that's really, she's really debating about that choice. Is she debating about that? I never feel like she, 
it's because of Kylo that she might go to the dark side. When we first see her and she's floating Lotus style up with the stones in the forest, she comes down and they have a brief interaction where she sees flashes of the throne. She sees herself being ripped from her mother's arms. I, I got to ask, She, yeah, during this whole scene, she's running around with Luke's, and I think that's also Anakin's lightsaber, which was destroyed in the last movie. Did they fix that? Did she? I don't even remember her taking the bits of that lightsaber after it was blown up. Much like Kylo Ren's helmet gets put back together again, JJ is picking up the pieces that Ryan left him and putting them back together, including the saber. So they're off. The la- the thing that they know is that Luke, at some point, he went looking for this wayfinder. Yeah, he was trading a new Jedi Order, but also amongst all that and then going into hiding, he was also looking for the Emperor because he knew he was still alive. No, he was looking for Exegol, the Sith world. He didn't know the Emperor was alive and he was hanging out with Lando. Yes, they came to some forbidden desert of Pasina. I haven't checked rungopee.com, but I got to think the scene where she's getting the necklace is one of those You can go pee. (laughs) Because we get this moment calling it out where this little child gives her a necklace and 3PO's translating, she would be happy to know your family name. I don't have one, just Ray. That mystery box is back. Well, it's not a mystery. We know she's Palpatine's granddaughter because of the first five minutes of this film. But does she only get that necklace so Kylo could FaceTime with her again and grab it and get it analyzed to find out where she is? It it just feels so perfunctory. It's Chekhov's necklace. Not only is it so that Kylo Ren can find out where she is, but it's setting up much like Nancy and Freddy Krueger where she can pull Freddy's hat out of a dream. It's showing that Kylo and Rey and this dyad can transfer items so later on she can hand him a saber. Well, we did kind of see that, didn't we, in The Last Jedi where this was established. I thought it was Snoke, though, that was like the internet wire between these two, but I guess they could do it on their own now. And we saw what, like water come through or something in The Last Jedi. So they kind of established that physical matter could be transferred. But yeah, they're going to really put a fine point on it here. At any rate, uh, the millennials are about to get schooled on some old war heroes. Billy D. Williams is going to step <laughs> out of the shadows and say, hey, I still matter. I do love this introduction, though, because I thought of that skiff guard disguise that he wore in Return of the Jedi. So I do love that he shows up in disguise here. And it was a nice little surprise. It's an honor to meet you, General. Was he really like one of the heroes of the war? Like, I I always thought of him as a rogue, really. Like he he led the battle on Death Star 2. I just don't remember it that way. I, I guess to me, he was the guy that sold out Harrison Ford. So he had to come back from that a little bit and atone at Java's palace. But I don't think of him as being someone to be starstruck by by these kids. I'm surprised he brings Lando back. He is Lando here. He's able to be that young Billy D. I mean, if you watch Undercover Brother and he becomes like this chicken hawking general who's like eat the general's chicken and it's the Billy D I've seen in conventions, I didn't think he could be Lando again. I didn't think he could be smooth. It's a little funny how when he takes off his helmet, he's got that big grin. It's like, I want to be smiling and happy when I enter the scene or maybe JJ 
they gave that direction. But he's Lando again, and I'm so happy. Oh, no, he he's totally Lando. Like, just jump to the end when he's talking to, I think, his daughter. I'm like, he's also kind of hitting on her, right? Because this is Lando. That is what we remember him for being, smooth. And again, it's something that uh, Donald Glover played off of, I thought, pretty well in Solo. So, again, that's a way to go. But he, it's not a very long scene, and he doesn't join them. Like, he's like, no, I'm too old for that. You know, send Leia my love. I'll give you my best grin. You guys got to go do this on your own, because I am not going to do CGI Kung Fu wire work. No, he is up there in years, and he's able to do the performance, but they don't ask him to do more than he's capable of. And he actually sends them out as the troopers are swarming the town. Instead of, like, hiding them, I guess because of this false 16-hour deadline, they go out, they hijack some speeders, which sets up a really unfulfilling subplot where Finn is asking Poe, how do you know how to do that? Why, why are you hot-wiring speeders? It does feel like a callback to the pod race, too, which is one of those moments you cite as being good from episode one. So what they're not going to do is allow the tempo to flag like Last Jedi. We are not going to slow down and meditate on any of this. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't make sense. But we are going to keep going. Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, so they come to this planet because there's some contact they need to talk to that's going to tell them where Exegol is and they're going to find a ship and there's no one in there except a robot. Like, (laughs) there is a ship... That has been sitting there for decades, a functional ship that nobody has picked parts off of or flown away that supposedly had a clue for where the Wayfinder could be found. Billy D and Luke couldn't find it back in the day, but Ray thinks having another search of the thing will turn something up that was missed. And to get there, we got this chase and... Ray actually quoting Leia of never underestimate a droid because BB-8 fires colored smoke to take one of them out. I don't understand why that was the payoff. The yellow smoke, it does take one of them out. What I find weird is they shoot down all of these flying troopers and one's left. It blows up both of their speeders and nobody is hurt. If those had been stormtroopers on those speeders, not a single person would have walked away. Even when the characters are mind-wiped and blown up, they're not hurt. Like, no one good is going to be hurt in this film. I had to watch it three times before I really understood what the impact of this chase was. But the impact is that they are thrown from the speeder into some quicksand. We're going to go into quicksand and we're going to sink. But don't worry, there's caves underneath. Like, this isn't, your life is not in danger at this point. But Finn, this is where Finn starts using this line. There's something I got to tell you. We're never going to get it. I guess we're just supposed to assume, what, that he loves Ray? Yeah, I mean, let's, come on. One plus one equals two. But uh, it's weird that there's no payoff for that. But later on, he does say to Poe, because he says, I'll tell you when Poe's not here. And Poe's like, what do you mean? Well, you t- I'll tell you when you tell me how you knew how to hotwire those speeders. I've talked to some friends about this, and they said they think what he wanted to tell Ray is, I feel the force. But I'm like, that's not a dying declaration. That's not something you say in quicksand. That's a conversation. Yeah, and if you feel the force, why don't you levitate your ass out of the sinking fields and your friends too while you're at it? But JJ is at a film festival this weekend, and he has confirmed what he was going to say is, I feel the force. 
Huh. I mean, I feel like that is going back to J.J.'s first Star Wars film, The Force Awakens. I got the feeling, oh, the, the Force has become alive and it's infecting everyone throughout the galaxy. Again, there's hints maybe that's going on, what we'll talk about when Finn meets some other ex-stormtroopers, but I wish that's what this trilogy was about. I wish someone would have a, an actual vision and show that on the screen. Here's what I want to ask, because we're racing through this just as J.J. was racing through it. Are you enjoying it? Is it fun? Do you feel the force yourself as you're sitting there having a good time? I mean, feeling the force, I feel that like tingly, adrenalized feeling I get during great action scenes. No, but I'm enjoying myself. I'm not hating it i'm like oh this is kind of convoluted and why are we trying to get to the ship and why do we got to go through caverns through the quicksand blah 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 blah. but i'm enjoying it i'm like okay this this actually at least feels like a star wars film more or less and i'm not enjoying this at all the first time you know what i'm thinking they get down into those caverns and they find the bones i'm like they're finding the key to one-eyed willy (laughs) yes i did think of goonies yes i did think goonies (laughs) right which is I mean, a film that sometimes you, in some parts of your life you've loved, right? I mean, there's. are you getting that feeling of being a kid watching a Spielberg movie in the 80s? The first time I watched it, truthfully, I felt like an adult watching a Michael Bay movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt like a Transformers movie to me. I'm going to say this. I've enjoyed this movie more, and I am more forgiving of each segment more. I see more character development it's so subtle, you gotta get out the microscope, but... Yeah, it's not planned, it's kind of there. Each time I see this movie, I see a bit more in each scene, but the first time I watched it, I hated this first hour. Hated it, and I was watching my watch because I know the standard in films is every 30 minutes we kind of change direction, and I'm like, well, maybe at the 30-minute mark they're gonna get better. No. All right, well, maybe at the 60-minute mark it's gonna get better. It kind of does... I didn't truly begin to enjoy anything in this film the first viewing until they got to Endor, though, and that's a long time. Endor, okay. See that, and I was—I'm having the same struggle. I'm glad to know that I'm not alone. You know, they make this point later, and like they—they'll make you feel like you're alone. I'm not alone in this. I am not having a good time. I am not feeling the feels when they're going through the motions here. It's not hitting me in the way that when I was a kid, and is that because I'm old and I've seen a bazillion franchise films since? Probably some factor. Again, I feel like The Force Awakens worked because it kind of did. It reminded me of those feelings because it was more or less a remake. But I went in with realistic expectations with this one. Like, I'm middle-aged. I'm not a child anymore. I'm cynical. I've been burned, I felt, with some of these Star Wars films. So because I I guess I level set my expectations, I'm like, ah, it's not perfect, but it's not awful. I'm it's it's okay. Yeah, it's not awful, but it's not magical. And I think that the one area where they could actually improve, yes, I'm an adult and I see things and know things in a way that won't make me a naive and welcoming child to anything that they offer. But I also think like this snake that they're gonna run into is no job of the hut. No. Like there are adventures that you can have that feel really thrilling and then there are we're just connecting the dots and i'll just force heal its wounds and it'll get out of the way and we'll just walk on to the next thing the force healing first of all they aired the most recent episode of the mandalorian episode seven of the mandalorian the day before this came out to set this up (laughs) 
Yeah, because Baby Yoda healed somebody. But go back. When Luke is attacked by the Sand People in Episode 4, Obi-Wan comes up to him, puts his hand on his forehead in some weird way. Then Luke wakes up without so much as the scratch. And Anakin gets his arms and legs cut off. He's pretty much dead of third-degree burns on Mustafar. The Emperor comes, puts his hands on him. Is he transferring some life from Padme to Anakin? That's been a theory that's floating out there, is the Emperor siphoned Padme's life so that it could keep Darth Vader alive. And especially from the video games I've played, Force healing is a thing. I've never seen it used to heal a snake with the, you know, it's like the lion with the thorn in its paw, but... I've heard people make this argument, oh, Obi-Wan, I don't know, Luke had a headache because he got hit on the head by a Tusken Raider. That's like saying that what Rey does is equivalent. Uh, remember when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan used their fast-running force power in <laughs> Phantom Menace that never got referenced again? What if all of a sudden we got a Star Wars film where, hey guys, they could speed run at the speed of light. <laughs> they don't even need a spaceship anymore. Like, well, technically we've seen Jedi run fast, but this seems like a big leap that she's going to regenerate cells and, and holes are going to close. Again, I'm not going to complain too much about it. It just feels like we got to go extreme now. Maybe it's because she is female. I did start to wonder. I had that thought. I mean, there have been females that we saw in the prequels in the background extras that were utilizing the force but this is the first main character sorry leia that we really do see practicing jedi powers is the idea that women can nurture their maternal instincts making it different than luke's idea that it's a way of of combat yeah like a lot of my thoughts with this sequel trilogy maybe I didn't take it that way. I did just think it was awfully convenient that the snake never attacks anyone. She's able to heal it. And it just accidentally, I think, opens a door so they don't die down there with Aki. Yes. And yeah, what they stumbled into is the answers to why he never got back into a ship. He didn't get back into a ship because is he the one that injured the snake? Like I'm trying to connect dots here and maybe there there's not enough material to do so, but he dies maybe at the snake's hand. The snake ate him. Yeah, I'm guessing, and that's why there's just bones and not any viscera. Right. And he was there on some land speeder. I love it that like it has a hood ornament of Sith so that everyone knows when he drives by who his crew is. <laughs> kind of like the Nazis with Mercedes. Sure, sure. And that there is his map to the Wayfinder because he can't just have passage <laughs> to Sith planet. He has to have a knife with Sith engravings that tell him where he can go in the rubble of the Death Star 2 to get Ur. And not only that, but because we need to extend this plot further, 3PO, for reasons, won't be able to translate it because there was a law passed in the Senate that droids can't translate Sith. And, what you know, he says, I can't tell you what it says. Cool. Okay, that's great, 3PO. Here, sit in the pilot seat and fly there. How about that? No, nobody thinks of that. We got to go introduce this really cute character. And I'm not talking about Carrie Russell. <laughs> I'm talking about Babu Frick. Yeah, but before we get there, what? They're trying to get away. The, the Knights of Ren have shown up. Kylo is showing up. That's where we get this flip scene from that teaser trailer. But they capture Chewie. They're, they're, they're like going to take him away. They, they got him on that uh, transport. He, he's gone. He's out of the picture. He's dead forever, right? Ray kills him by accident. And this is, I'm becoming like Misery Chastain from Stephen King's novel. Like, 
We saw him get in the cock-a-duty transport, and suddenly that <laughs> transport is exploding. It means he's dead. No, there was another transport. They didn't show that. Is that what they're saying? That there was another one? They showed it. The second time I watched it, I paid close attention. There's an establishing shot of when Finn is trying to get Chewie, and he sees Chewie being handed over to Imperials by the Knights of Ren, and you see two shuttles. You cut away to Finn, you cut back, they've zoomed in, and you only see one shuttle, and you never see that second shuttle again, but there is a brief shot of two shuttles, but when... But I didn't notice it the first viewing. No, it's still cheating. What, where was his shuttle then? Like, why didn't we see them both leave? And when she's pulling the shuttle down and he's pushing the shuttle up and the force lightning shoots from her hand and Chewbacca dies. Oh, my God. That was a gut punch to me. What? You thought he was dead? I thought he was dead. Oh. Why wouldn't I think he was dead? Uh, it just didn't feel legit to me. It, it felt like they were teasing us. If only is my thought. My instant thought was like, if only they had the daring to do that. This movie would be on such stronger footing if it actually dared to play God with these characters and take some out. Yeah, it feels like that would have set Ray on the path to the dark side. This guilt for killing Chewbacca, like that could have been a powerful moment. Yeah, and I thought it happened because, and especially because they underplay it, there's not time to mourn because there's another chase. I'm like, wow, they just took out Chewbacca, and really, there's nothing left for Chewbacca to do. This is the f supposedly the final saga movie. There's going to be more movies in the universe, but this is like the end for all these characters. And so. Unless we have another solo prequel, yeah, take, you can take out Chewbacca and not hurt anything in the future. They killed Chewbacca in the expanded universe. You know, they said it's like killing the family dog. You're going to get a reaction. They got a reaction from me. When it turns out it was a cock duty cheat, oh my God, I turned on this movie <laughs> with venom. I'm like, how do you do this to me? If you're going to make me feel, then make me feel for something that matters. Don't you dare continually continually tell me it doesn't matter. Vader, Emperor's thrown down a pit. Doesn't matter. Chewbacca blew up. There's no way he survived that crash. Doesn't matter. Is that the Disneyfication? This is how J.J. tells the story. I've seen every movie J.J.'s done. This is how he tells a story. It's also how Disney, like, they, they don't kill the mom anymore, like Bambi. Right. Like, they, they don't do that. They're safe now. And so, J.J., Kathleen Kennedy, the lawyers at Disney, Bob Iger, whoever, like, everyone had a hand in the pot. And I, you don't kill Chewbacca. I, you know, I know they did that in the EU at one point, and, but they're not going to do it in these films. They, they tell you in the teaser trailer, no one's ever really gone. And, yeah, that's how I feel about the Star Wars saga, especially at this point with Palpatine back. No one ever really is gone. They'll all show up again in this movie. Yeah, and is that part of Star Wars always? Has it always been celebrating some kind of afterlife idea that goodness lives on and that when your body passes you still get to come back as a shimmering blue ghost uncle owen and aunt Beru never did well not yet <laughs> well who I wants mean, them <laughs> I mean, right and that may not be the party that uh yeah yoda and uh anakin would be here's my other question because again this gets destroyed ray and kylo are, are using the force fighting over this transport and all of a sudden lightning comes out of ray we, we've only seen lightning from palpatine and dooku right like that is a sith thing that's how they've been portrayed in the film, that this is a dark side trait. Yeah, what they're telling us, and I think this is important, and I wish I was feeling it, was that Ray has overstepped. 
that in trying to battle Kylo Ren and and, and have this showdown, uh, she actually lost control and she is beyond redemption. Again, if she had killed Chewie, she's in the same box as Kylo for killing Han. Like suddenly there's no redemption for people that kill beloved characters like that. It's very different because it's accidental versus premeditated. There's still guilt that pushes you to the dark side. I mean, they could have done something with that. Harrison Ford's death. I went into that movie knowing Harrison Ford wanted to die in Return of the Jedi. Meta, I kind of felt before I saw the movie, spoiler free, that he would die. And then when it happened, it was so telegraphed. The fact that this wasn't telegraphed and actually shocking. And Ray has another reason for this. She got that dagger and had a force vision. She knows that her parents were on Aki's ship. Aki is tied to her parents because this universe is the size of freaking Mayberry. So (laughs) she's already angry because of this. And I would have forgiven her for killing Chewbacca. Although maybe, you know, we're going to see her make the ultimate sacrifice at the end of the movie. Maybe she makes that ultimate sacrifice. Maybe you have a daring ending instead of everything gets undone. But no, that's not the movie that is coming at us for whoever's reason. Yeah, and but but it was true in Return of Jedi as it is here. Yes, I do feel like this series, and you're right, my frustration has always been was that it's very willy-nilly about the rules of life and death. It's always been pretty clear that if you're a Jedi and you die and you f- disappear, you can come back as a ghost. And if you're not a Jedi, dead is dead. And I thought they were telling us another character was dead. We saw C-3PO get it give his goodbye. They're going to go to another planet so they could figure out what he read on that dagger and were introduced to a new droid, a new character, Dio, who can talk. And I thought they were telling us, oh, this is C-3PO's replacements. Dio and BB-8, here's your new C-3PO and R2. I don't know what Dio does in this film. Like, he talks and rolls around, and I don't know if he does much more. I thought it was the new Chewbacca, because Chewbacca had just theoretically died, and Dio shows up and... He's like scared. You reach down to pet him or something and he backs up. No, thank you. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a rescue droid. And my heart is bleeding for dead Chewbacca. And now I'm seeing this. This abused droid. Yeah, an abused droid. I'm looking at him. I'm hearing Sarah McLachlan songs. I'm feeling bad for this droid. The droid, voiced by J.J. Abrams, by the way. Uh, He does very little but try to sell toys. Yeah, I ultimately, that's the frustration here, is we didn't need more characters. I gotta say, already, this thing is jam-packed with the cameos and, you know, the screen having, on every shot, five or six people. Hardly anyone is ever in a single shot alone. Why introduce another one? It is only for merchandise purpose. Dio, it looks cute. It's a skittish child that uh, needs to be nurtured. Ray will eventually lean down and oil its wheel and it will be able to be, you know, become one of the gang. Again, going to that feminine nursing healing motif, like yeah. sexist or not, it's there. Yeah, I definitely feel like, yeah, she is the nurturer. And so what we see Dio growing up to do, I don't know, they eventually wire him up and get some plans off of him or something, but I don't feel like he does contribute. No, what they say later on is when Finn finally acknowledges Dio's existence, and he's like, so what's your name? It turns out because Dio was Aki's droid and Aki was going to see the Emperor on Exegol, Dio had been there and is able to give them information about how dangerous the planet is. And it'll, I guess, 
Rose, because she's been studying Star Destroyer schematics, is able to use this information so that they can plan how they'll attack when they figure out how to get there. That is Dio's entire thing, is also a thumb drive. You know, it's there's so many reasons they could have skipped this. There's so many ways in a quick rewrite you could have just said, hey, and the Sith Wayfinder has information, Ray is beaming us about the planet. But no, then we don't have a hairdryer on wheels. I would have been totally cool if Rose was just like, oh, yeah, the way these Star Destroyers work, there's going to be an antenna and you got to destroy that because then they can't navigate. Like, she's a technical person. She could just spout out that jargon. I wouldn't have mind. Like, you mean give it give Rose something valuable to do? Nah, <laughs> we tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> yes. We make her a character that has knowledge, but we got to sell toys and no one bought those Rose toys. Yeah. Dio doesn't do a whole lot. We're going to this planet Kijimi. Another planet. Why? Oh, because we got to figure out what C-3PO read. That's why we're going to this one now. Yeah, Poe knows a guy. But the character who gets it best in this movie is 3PO. We're about to talk about him. The character who I feel like there were reshoots, there were some rewrites. Something is on the cutting room floor for Poe's arc in this movie. Because we had Finn asking him, how did you know how to hotwire a speeder? And now Poe is going to take them to this droid smith they know on Kijimi, but he doesn't want to go there. He's got a bad history there. He's always been our Han Solo of the series. They're going to make it overt because Han Solo was a spice smuggler, and so was Poe. And Zori Bliss, played by Carrie Russell, who never takes a mask off. She raises her visor at one point. You can see her eyes. But why is she here and what does she add to Poe's story? I, I guess if I knew who Poe was, he has no character. Like, I don't know what his arc is. I know he's supposed to be a new Han Solo, but he has been nothing in the first two films, more or less. So, okay, he ran drugs. Fine. It's not a question to me. Oh, he could hotwire a speeder? I don't know. Everyone's a mechanic and a pilot in this galaxy. Why not? Like, they're answering questions that I never asked a question to. They're contributing to the theme, and the theme is this. You can come from a lowly, supposedly irredeemable background and still be anointed good. You know, it's the promise of Christianity. I mean, Poe will even say, you were a stormtrooper. You were a scavenger. Not only is she a scavenger, but we'll find out very soon she's a Palpatine. These are people that are supposedly beyond redemption, and yet they will ultimately be as noble as Luke and Leia. I wish they would have sold me that they were beyond redemption. Again, maybe if Chewie had actually died, that could have been a plot point. But to me, what's interesting, they go to this planet and stormtroopers, they're there. We hear that they kidnap children to turn into stormtroopers. And that's going to be a big thing later on. Like, I, I kind of like some of this world building that's going on. And I wish these themes were stronger, like that people are, they might be bad. They might be stormtroopers because they were kidnapped, but they could be redeemed like Finn. One of my problems with the sequel trilogy is I felt like Lucas made each planet so distinct. And I feel that we're on, we've had multiple desert planets now. Why was Jakku not Tatooine and forest yeah. planets and everything. But here, I think they actually with Kajimi found a, feel like an eastern block kind of feel iron curtain for sure yeah and because there's night patrols and things like that i liked the feel of the city and i liked this infiltration and they go to another cantina and not only that but i believe that's composer john williams tending bar it is he's got some kind of borg implant on his face 
Yeah, I'm like, that's some cameo. They they linger on him for a couple seconds. And jokes are fine. That's cool. It gives you a reason to rewatch a movie. But what this feels like is a parade of people popping in, saying hi, saying remember me, acknowledging the contribution. I can't say that I'm really excited about them pulling this Sith information out of C-3PO and what it means. Like, I feel like the thrust of the movie burnt out. I feel like there's nothing making the momentum go forward. It's kind of just lulling and and kind of boring. I'm not bored. I mean, the first time I am. The first time I'm I'm angry because there I know this C3PO, this memory wipe doesn't mean as much as it should because does nobody remember episode three ends with a joke of Jimmy Smith's like and wipe his memory? And he's perfectly, you know, he's still C-3PO. Well, no one does remember that. I mean, that's you're talking about, why isn't everyone a hardcore fan that remembers lines from episode three? I don't remember it. I saw it yesterday. Okay, fine. But they undercut the whole moment because they're like, hey, doesn't R2 back up his memory? Like, oh, well, maybe it's faulty and he won't be able to do it. I'm like, he's going to be able to do it. Come on. I asked the Chewbacca question. Why not make it about sacrifice? Here's the point. The whole time. Hey, everybody, I'm C-3PO. Does no one care? I'm fine. I'm right behind you and nah, no, shut him up. I don't like him. Wait, we're going to lose him? We're never going to meet him again? Throat clenching, tears swelling? Like that's in a moment to feel sad suddenly. It's, It's a pivot. We thought one way about you and now we have to think another way. That's powerful. You go with that. You lean into that. And again, I think these choices might have been taken out of the hands of the creative forces by Disney. I feel like this may be Disney. And here's the weird feeling I have because I don't like The Last Jedi. It's a mess of a movie, but I did appreciate when Ryan Johnson challenged the Star Wars mythos. I think that was all rolled back during that film. Like he asked the question and they go, ah, we're not gonna like JJ does it much stronger here, but I, I would have liked that tendency. Let JJ like plot this out, but let Ryan Johnson come in and make some big decisions and, <laughs> and yeah, kill characters. If this is the end of the saga, like you want it to mean something. And, and maybe it's unfortunate that death and sacrifice, that means something to us as a Western culture, but yeah, that's what you would expect. And I want that. I want to see stakes. I don't want to see this as we got to keep them alive. Cause there's a, another movie coming and there's more toys to sell that have some stakes and maybe some of this is a pendulum swing from the last jedi oh it, it is 100 percent a pendulum swing like i i said that last jedi film wasn't gonna matter and it more or less doesn't i think you go from the force awakens to this and you're not gonna have that many questions yeah, I, I disagree on that but the thing is i wish this moment with C-3PO did have impact. And it was in the trailer, and some people I know got so moved at the trailer scene where 3PO posed like, what you doing, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. I'm like, I don't see Luke, Leia, and Han, or even R2. (laughs) Who are you looking at? You know? Babu Frick, his new best friend, his oldest friend. That is the breakout character of the film. I love Babu Frick. He is so hysterical here with his accent and great memory. Google. (laughs) You know, he is the porg of this movie. What I say is he's not as cute as Baby Yoda, but he's got a lot more personality than Baby Yoda. I do like his. Yeah, I like his personality. I, you know what? I'll be honest. I wasn't. He was a plot device. He was the thing that was going to make C-3PO go away. But of course, they're already telling us, doesn't R2 have, it can't really back him up from the cloud. And so we don't ever have to feel. And you're right. Maybe some of this is they took chances last time and they got scared. 
And I said I like Babu Frick, but my first viewing, I am grasping onto things I like even a little, like Babu Frick and like this Eastern Bloc feel of Kajimi, because I'm liking so little this first time through. And I'm sitting here, and at this moment in the movie, first viewing, I'm like, wow, it's finally happened. A Red Arrow Star Wars movie from me. I can't go with this. Clone Wars, but I know what you mean. A real one. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I just had to throw it out there, because like, we'd like to pretend it didn't happen, but I got a hundred bucks out of it. <laughs> but we get C-3PO waking up. C-3PO says, only this blade tells. Yeah, he's modulated. His eyes are red. I, I guess he's... I, that makes you evil when you have to read Sith runes or something, but... 3PO falls over, and now... It's going to become comedy. It's going to be like, hello, I am C-3PO. And he's introducing himself to everyone again. And I mean, that's that's always his bit. I mean, I always feel like that's what he's good for. They found a new skit for him to perform, but it's the same joke that he always tells. And that, it's probably right for him to do it because he has not made any impact on episode seven or eight. But I just don't like where we're at at this point. We're on this like generic planet with Carrie Russell and Chewbacca's still alive. So yay, we have to go. We For reasons, Ray just knows we need to go there. I'm like, I just hate that she just knows. She feels it in the force. I No, I understand that, but it's just so lame. It's like, oh, now I remember my parents were on this ship. Just now. And now I remember that the Wookiee is on the script. Not not that not the other one that was flying away out of frame. And Stuart, don't forget that Carrie Russell has a magic coin that lets you get on any Imperial ship you want. I'm giving them double birds. Like both middle fingers are up at this point. This is lame. This is this is the darkest moment of the film. Yeah, you're right. We're at the worst part of the movie. At this point of the movie, it's supposed to be the moment where all is lost for your characters. Mm. You know, the moment of act two where everything is going wrong. Well, everything's going wrong for me as an audience member. I'm like, there is really nothing for me to hold on to. Chewbacca's alive. I mean, they did not. Yeah, like Jacob said, they didn't hold that secret very long. We got to see Hux reveal that earlier. But now other people find out there's this stupid coin that... Yeah, I mean, just stop. Like, and like, ugh, yeah, all of that. Like, again, it's giving us Poe backstory that feels shoehorned in really too late for it to matter. Like, all of a sudden, some woman we can barely see might be inviting him on some kind of romantic getaway. And he's like, no, I'm going to fight Star Wars. And she's like, okay, that makes sense. Here's a coin. And so, like, now we can get back to the movie. Yeah, and, and again, talking about dramatic moments that just don't pay off because there is no sacrifice. Carrie Russell, here's this coin. Now I can't get off the planet. This is the way I was going to get off. She's going to get off the planet somehow. She's just going to show up later, so no worries there. None of these people look like drug dealers, you know, and that's just the thing. Like the Disneyfication <laughs> of it is we're just not going to make them look like opportunistic assholes in the way that Harrison Ford could sell that as a charming attribute. Yeah, Poe, I think, could bring it off. You know, I like Oscar Isaac. Take X-Men Apocalypse out of his resume. <laughs> this is a great actor who is the least served person in the entire new Star Wars trilogy. They faked a death before. We thought he died in episode seven in that crash. Yes. And he showed up later. Oh, I'm fine. I feel like it happens all the time in this saga. But again, I've just been in a blitzkrieg of the whole thing. And it just all feels like one big piece. There's a lot of Jedi dying and coming back as ghosts. That, yes. that Maybe yes. that's coloring your memory it, it is it makes me feel that st the stakes of 
death are always very low here. I look forward to the new Dune. He's Leo Atreides in it. I look forward to seeing him get something meaty to do. He's great in Ex Machina. But here, I feel this is the first time we're trying to give Poe an actual story, an actual arc. I mean, well, last time he had one, but it was so minor, and it was done by sending other people to do stuff. Here, we're getting this backstory, and it's just, it's not working for him. He gets shot in the arm, too, in a few minutes, and that never comes up either. There's just, like, they forget things about him. Right, yeah, it's basically they fly back to the destroyer. I don't even see them use the coin. They put it in their dashboard, and I guess it communicates a code so they can land. Yeah, that's how they get the strange ship into the Star Destroyer. And now wearing a replay of A New Hope, right? I mean, this is the third or fourth time we have seen heroes. I mean, we had in the last film, Ray went on a Star Destroyer. We've done this. <laughs> but yeah, but this time they've got a Trump joke, you know? Like, the whole thing is Hux is the leaker, right? You know, and that's the thing about the Trump administration. He's always screaming about the deep state, and yet it's always the people he hires are the ones that are leaking the information and turning on him and trying to not follow his orders. So here, Hawks is, because he doesn't like Kylo Ren, is just willing to let the rebels escape. I like that this is all about bureaucratic infighting and that Hux is just pissed because he's not the supreme leader now. So he's going to sabotage Kylo Ren because it wouldn't make no sense if Hux was a spy this whole time since The Force Awakens. No, but it actually makes sense in The Last Jedi. He didn't like when Snoke was killed. He didn't like Kylo Ren taking over. I like the line, I don't care if the rebels win so long as Kylo Ren loses. Yeah, I like that about him. (laughs) You know, there's so many mystery boxes in this. It's opening at Christmas, and it does feel like one of the stocking stuffers that you forget you received at the end of the day was that somebody sent them a message at the beginning that said the Emperor was alive, and that needed we need to unwrap that and realize it was Hux. And in the middle of it, I mean, Ray is using the Force. We get another great moment. It's always gotten a big reaction from the audience when the two stormtroopers shows up. It's okay that we're here. You're relieved that we're here. It's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I want to know who, what celebrity voices those two stormtroopers were. It just yelled cameo to me where, yeah, they're being brainwashed by Ray to uh, let them go through. At any rate, irritant of an irritant, even though C-3PO got his memory wiped just so that they could know where to go to get the Wayfinder, she thinks they need the knife too. So let's like run off and get that. Well, they do need the knife. It's a good thing they go to get it. Uh, Yeah, it's a good thing she read the latest pages from the script that came in because this just feels (laughs) like that kind of like, oh, wait, we need to do this now. So you just feel it. Just feel it in your gut, the force. Well, that's, kind of what the force is the force should be better than that it should be not come in like like new pages of a script i'd actually go with it more if it was i'm feeling something in the force i need to go investigate that's something luke would have done and when she got there there's the dagger waiting for her or something instead of just i need to go get the dagger now right because it's got some stupid doodiggy that will actually point to the window where the thing is. it's it's the it's the skull key for One-Eyed Willie that tells you where the ship is. Yeah, I I get it. I get it. But she goes there. They have another Force Skype. We get a lot of lightsaber fights in this. They're all brief and they're all like astral projection, but... Yeah, one of the big questions I know that came from the trailer is you see Rey and Kylo fighting and they smash some black stone or something. People like, what was that? It's just the pedestal that holds Darth Vader's 
burnt melted helmet, he just still has this little shrine and that's how he knows that they're on the Star Destroyer. I actually think this is my favorite fight in the movie because I like the way that they're in two locations at once, but it blends. Like he swings and hits a pot. He's down on the surface of the city and he breaks a pot, but the berries spill out in his room. And so they have a lot of fun blending those two locations because of their mutually tied dyad force power. I think I've said this before, but I think J.J. would be a great cinematographer, maybe even a great director if he was kept out of the writer's room, because the red berries on the white floor of Kylo Ren's place is great. Earlier, we got this. It was almost dizzying in IMAX 3D. A helicopter shot swooping around the Knights of Ren. It's in these big budget films. We often take for granted that they look good. You know, we don't call it out. But this movie looks good, and it really is, its use of color and lighting is, it's a very visually appealing film on the high end of the spectrum for all the Star Wars films. Yeah, and true of all of the new ones, the new ones do look the best. Out of all of them, they are the most epic looking because they have that money, and we have the technical know-how we know now. Yeah, and not just CGI. I'm saying just its use of blocking and angles and camera movement and... The fact that J.J. is holding to... And never think that I hate on J.J. 100%. I love that he's bringing in real puppets, real suits, real effects... I really do like the look of this film and I do like this fight. It's not my favorite of the film. That's coming up on Endor. But here, I'm still not really into the film the first viewing because I'm like, they're at the dagger and this is where the worst thing is this retcon where they're talking and he's like, I didn't lie to you. Your parents were no one. They chose to be to keep you safe. Wait, what? We had a definitive answer that her parents were alcoholics who died penniless and sold her to Simon Pegg. They they may have been alcoholics. Like, I want to know about Horny Palpatine. When did he hook up with someone? Who did he hook up with? And like, yeah, is, is the the fa- father or the mother that is the child? Like, they may have been an alcoholic. Like, my dad has become Hitler. I'm going to hit the bottle. I can't tell you who he hit up is Jodie Cormier, who just won an Emmy for Killing Eve. Like, this is a big actress here, but she's barely on the screen. No, that's his daughter-in-law. It's Palpatine had sex with someone. Oh, who did he hit up? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't even think about it, but you're right. That does beg a question. When did it happen? Did it happen before or after he was scarred and deformed by Mace? After, right? (laughs) It'd have to be. Would it? I think. How old's Ray? Ray's about 20. She was left alone when she was, what, four? And her parents look 30 ish. And so if she was left alone. And this saga is, what, 30-ish years after Return of the Jedi? Right. So we're going back about 50 years. That is right after Revenge of the Sith. So he was... Yeah, uh, so he was palp- He was the emperor when he knocked someone up. Yeah, I definitely believe that he, uh, he's got the white face and the scars and the l- electricity. Maybe the electricity, like, brings something. You know, we're all focused <laughs> on the looks, but, you know, it's all about the feels. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he could have been in Morton Joe from Fury Road, Mad Max. Like, just a harem of women against their will. He's trying to create... His whole thing has been about creating life and making it live. And, you know, we, we got that little blurb in Revenge of the Sith that his master supposedly made at Anakin, I believe. So, 
I don't know. I guess this was part of his experiment of creating life. He was just doing it the old school way, though. He had a kid. That kid got with the Killing Eve actress, and they made Ray. And so now Ray, what we're told, what Kylo believes or wants her to believe is that as soon as the Emperor found out about this lineage, he wanted it terminated. He wanted to whack that branch from his family tree. He's been trying to kill her from day one, and they sold her into... I don't know what, Scavenger, who bought her again? Unkar Plutt, played by Simon Pegg, the guy who was like, two portions. Okay, and what's kind of weird is that he sent this guy, Ochi, to go get the granddaughter, and he only flies back with the parents. Uh, I would have stayed on Jakku and looked for, I mean, a couple questions, and you would have probably found the granddaughter, right? Yeah, they said she's already off Jakku. He, they, they come up with a good cover story, so he just murders them with the ha- dagger that happened to be the dagger with the directions they need. I bet you they came up with a bad story, and Ochi's just not good at vetting lies. That's <laughs> what happened. But, but whatever. He killed them, and it exonerates the parents, but at the same time, creates a real problem for Rey. Her lineage is evil. She is of bad blood. She cannot be redeemed because she's Palpatine. Except the thing that I'm thinking at this very moment is, but Luke was Vader's son and Luke never really had any problems. Right. And of course, all of that. I mean, again, the movies, the existential crisis that Ryan Johnson brought up about what is good and evil and and all of that really is resolved when you realize you create your own destiny. Luke was not great because he was the son of greatness. It's not about lineage. It's not about dynasty and kingdoms and the good people are nobility and the commoners are nobody. Literally everybody. The most nobody of nobodies can all achieve the same greatness. That's the message of the new trilogy. Except I don't think that's the message of this one. The problem is when I was a kid growing up, I thought anyone could be a Jedi. And then episode one tells me, no, it's all in your blood. And then Ray being a no one again opened it up. Anyone can be a Jedi. And now this movie's like, eh, except you have the blood of Palpatine. It's not anyone. You're special. I, I, I'm of two thoughts with that because I did like that. That's one of the things I did like that Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi saying it doesn't matter who you are. You don't need to be a Skywalker. I also like, again, if this sequel trilogy had themes. And yes, I Stuart, I know there's kind of themes here that we'll see. They're kind of teased. They're there if you look real hard. But I I like this reversal of the bad guy and good guy. Like, the bad guy in this one now is a Skywalker, essentially, and the good guy is a Palpatine, and you could have some fun with that. That it's not about, you know, okay, maybe you gotta have some royalty in that blood, but the, the sins of past fathers or the greatness that they did, they don't matter. You're you. You write your legacy, and that's a good story, too. I I wish that was conceived from the beginning. (laughs) And so we could really see that play out. I agree. It could have been put in layered in more striking, prominent ways. But I think it's there. I think it's there in all three of these new movies. And I do think that, yeah, like you guys, I probably believed anyone could be a Jedi, but I also will acknowledge I was a blonde white kid. And so in Luke becoming a powerful force, uh, that meant that, yeah, I could. But did that mean that everybody could? These new trilogies are very much about taking down the walls of what it looks like to be a Jedi. You can be black, you can be female, you can be anything. You can have the most criminal background and it all can be wiped away when you commit. And I think that is 
the message of our times, frankly. I mean, I do see in a lot of ways, uh, gender certainly is an issue where people say, I'm defining myself by my own terms and not allowing biology to do it. See, and I we already saw Jedi of all genders, colors, and everything in the prequels. Here, I just wish that it hadn't been. You know, again, I had that problem with episode seven. Is this Obi-Wan's kid? Why does it have to be somebody's kid? The fact that she's Palpatine's granddaughter, it's ridiculous. Here, we also have a new force power. He says, my mother was the daughter of Vader. Your father was the son of Palpatine. We are a dyad in the force. And then what I never thought would happen, Kylo Ren quotes the Spice Girls, two become one. Oh, <laughs> God, they had another song. You know, here in America, they were never the thing they were in England. And I think we're going to get a moment out of Empire because Ray is at this hangar door. I'm thinking about Luke after, uh, no, I am your father. And Luke's like, screw this. I'm going to jump off this high thing. And if I die, I die. I think she's going to do that. Except she sees the Falcon is out there. And somehow she survives a jump into outer space. And Finn's just standing there waiting for her. Well, I think they weren't in outer, outer space. I think they're still in the atmosphere. You could still see the cities at Kijimi below. So I, I took it as they weren't quite in outer space. High atmosphere, but not uh, zero gravity. They play very fast and loose with atmosphere in this specific film. They do. I, it's, that's why I'm not going to worry about this detail. Again, the science in the science fiction, it's science fantasy. Right, like uh, this yeah, is this is space opera, not science fiction. That's okay. We don't need to ask these practical rules about how the ships fly and work, unless you want to. Unless you want to be a person that dives that deep, I never do. Not in this saga. That's not. Again, I'm looking for themes. I feel like it's finally hit it in this moment. And so her existential crisis is for her to resolve the fact that she can be a bad blood and still choose the good side. You going with Taylor Swift now? <laughs> I mean, why, why do we keep bringing up pop music I don't really like because very much? Keep, uh, neither do I, but I just know the titles. <laughs> see, and here, even though I see where this is coming, I'm mad they brought Palpatine back to life and undid that. That is a cheat. But, you know, much like Darth Maul coming back to life in The Clone Wars, I hate that they did it, but some good episodes came out of that. You know, I have to admit, some of the better stories came out of a shitty plot point. And here... I'm like, okay, let's see if you can give me a good story. I give movies their setup. If the premise is the Emperor's back, set it aside. What movie does that tell me? Ray is the Emperor's granddaughter. I'm pissed. I'm shutting down. They're heading to Endor. This movie starts hitting a stride for me on this second moon of Endor, Kef Burr. Yeah, it, it, I thought we were going to Endor because in that trailer we saw Death Star 2 wreckage, but I don't remember any big oceans on Endor, but we didn't see the whole planet. But yeah, this is a different moon with what populated by ex stormtroopers. Yeah, I thought it looked beautiful. Like, I didn't really care where we were going or why. As you pointed out, Arnie, every time we're looking at visuals and sweep and scope, that widescreen, take it all in. It is just beautiful to see the wreckage of the Death Star 2.0 and for have her climb back up into that room where Luke learned his destiny. Like, all of that feels well scripted in that respect. I, I like those moments. The fact that, yeah, she's going to pull out the coin from Goonies. Like, for this to work, someone had to stand in that exact position. I don't know, take a picture <laughs> or somehow outline the wreckage on a piece of paper. Like, it's ugh. bad. It's bad. I agree. It is lame that JJ came up with a wild goose chase. 
I like the people that we meet here. Jana will be the head of them. We'll find out they were ex-stormtroopers taken as children and forced into it. And they were in a battle and they just decided they weren't going to fight. Like, I like, I wish this is what this trilogy was about. Bad people deciding, you know what? We don't need to be bad. Like, and we could just walk away from that. I don't know why you think it's not about that. That is literally what it's about. Like, here are a bunch of people that would never have the force. They're stormtroopers or first order troopers, whatever you want to call them. And they just make the choice that they can feel the positivity of the universe, that force. What I wish the sequel trilogy was about was, the, yeah, the force becoming, and, and I know it's there, Stuart. You're going to say it's there. I know it it's hinted at, but I wish this was about the force becoming an entity, turning people good, turning them away from evil, that it's not necessarily, and I guess I'm tapping my inner Ryan Johnson, this isn't about Star Wars, that you don't have to fight, that you could change your person and become good. And that that is how you can resolve conflict. I, I This is something that's on my mind a lot just in today's current political climate like that we've talked about like taxi driver and joker like when you get caught up in a bad ideology like as someone that doesn't believe that do i just say oh you just they should die then and just go away or do you give them some path of redemption and so yeah like give us that path of redemption i wish that was it, it you're right Stuart. it's peppered in there i wish that's what this trilogy was about though I, I will meet you this much. I wish that these themes were more of the story and less of running around healing a snake. Like, I do feel like if that's where you're going with it, we need to have every scene be an important underlining of that idea, get to Jana much earlier, and we can get into those themes deeper. As it is, it's so late, I'm already so jaded and kind of bored that she's rolling off of me. And it's too bad, because I like this actress, and I think that she has something to offer with the thought of anyone. It is the democratization of the force. Literally anyone now can do it. And I never did feel that before, even, you know, before the whole midichlorian thing. I always felt like, no, Luke was special. And there was only some very special people that could do it. And now literally anybody in the world can use the force when they allow themselves to to feel it. That's not how I took this at all, though. What I took it as is there are, you know, again, when I was a kid, I did think anyone, if you went to the monastery and you trained, you could feel the force. That's what I got out of it. If Obi-Wan taught you, certain people would be stronger than others. They talk about, you know, this person's strong with the force. Certain people will always have more aptitude, but anybody can do it. But here, I've always wondered, and I re-listened to our episode seven podcast, and I'm like, I don't like that Finn has been conditioned from birth and decides not to shoot people at his first combat. I, it made no sense to me because you only know what you are taught. And if you lived in a world where all you were taught is your job is to kill, you wouldn't have a morality against that. What they're saying is most people don't, but if you are Force-sensitive, and not everyone is, but if you are Force-sensitive and you're stolen as a child, then you still will have the ability to overpower your conditioning. So this whole group of ex-stormtroopers are Force-sensitive? Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what's being said, because Finn and Janna are going to talk about how they had this feeling, and Finn says, that's what the Force is. We feel the Force. We are Force-sensitive. Yeah, Yoda tells us the Force goes and lives through everything, and I wish with 
the title The Force Awakens, this was about the Force changing people's hearts. And I, what I believe is, I, I think we're saying the same thing. You're saying specifically these people were sensitive to it, but it is about anyone. Anyone, any human being has the capacity for compassion. If they open up their heart, if they allow themselves to think, man, I'm taking life and look at that. They're crying. They're suffering. That's I, if I were that way, I would feel terrible. I mean, everyone has that capacity to some degree. Disagree. If you were raised from babyhood and taught to kill. And people get out of that life all the time. Gang life. There are so many stories about people raised in such a way that turn on it. And they're, and the way, yes, they meet people that influence them. There are things that change their perspective. But you can be open by it. Here, the metaphor is an invisible force. A god. God presence. Let's just call it, you know, yeah. in religious terms, God will help you see the good if you open your heart to him. I just, I took it as these were the ones with the midichlorians. I do know JJ and Lucas had a conversation about midichlorians during the making of this film. Well, it makes it, uh, it makes the idea that anyone can do it impossible. Now it is all about bloodline. Literally, it's in, royalty is in certain people's blood and some people will never be noble. And we're, we live in a democracy. We don't, Americans don't like to think that way. We but, don't like that. And yet that's why I'm upset that Ray had to be a Palpatine is because I think it's reinforcing that message. Oh, see, I, I see it as the opposite. I see it as reinforcing the idea she's beyond redemption because her name is the equal to shit. And so you'll never be good. But you'll be super powerful because you have his blood. You have his power. Yeah, you have to be evil. You have to be evil because of who your grandfather was. And the, the, the choice that gets made, it's an active decision with the help of a Luke ghost that was coming very shortly. She will realize that Leia believed in her inner character more than the fact that she was a Palpatine. Yeah, she has to hit her darkest moment. Here on Endor, she leaves everyone behind and grabs a skimmer that we didn't even know existed to go to the Death Star. Finn is going, and Jana are going to take another skimmer to follow that never doesn't ever pay matters. off. Doesn't matter. They do nothing by going after <laughs> they her. Cut that entire scene. Seriously, I. Th why didn't they? I. My only guess is they've been working on this idea. They don't want us to forget that Finn has some deep compassion about Ray, and since they don't have any scenes together, they keep teasing the idea. He wants to tell her something, and then there's this one moment on the ship where he's like, "I know how you're feeling. This is not you. You don't want to destroy people." Like he is. Serving in the Luke role before Luke shows up. He is trying to tell her, you don't want to go to this dark side. I just wish that there was some reason for it. This entire journey, admittedly, is shorter, so it's better. But Finn going to the Death Star on the skimmer has as much point as Finn going to the casino planet in The Last Jedi. They accomplish nothing with it. But... Here she goes down. I get a big Empire Strikes Back vibe because when she is on the Death Star wreckage, she's walking around and doors just open and she goes through them just like Luke did when he was arriving on Bespin before yeah. his showdown with Vader. And she gets to the throne room. They play the music, the John Williams score from when 
Vader was burning. I did like that it kind of had to go to the throne room. It, it, again, because I am a fan and, and I do like the, a lot that original trilogy and the prequels, but mostly the original trilogy, it's fun to revisit these old sets. I, yeah, it might not be best for storytelling, but I'm glad we're seeing them. But she gets there, she gets her Sith Wayfinder, and there's the moment from all the trailers. Everybody's like, oh, Rey turns evil. She's got a red saber. Yeah, I knew it was a force vision or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. They even reference, if you remember Last Jedi, she has her moment in the cave, if you will. She had a vision where she stared in a mirror and there were hundreds of her. She does this little snapping Mm -hmm. dance move, whatever. Whatever that was, they kind of do that a little bit as she's walking in. There's some refraction and reflection and they're trying to get to the idea that this is what she is at the end of the line. For her, when she follows it all the way to the end, you know, she said, I know that this trail of me has an endpoint. Here it is. You will never not be evil. You were always destined to be evil. You are a Palpatine. See, and the way I took it, because it's from Empire Strikes Back, is just, if you're a Force user, you have to face yourself because you can go either way. I know they want to tell us she's evil because she's a Palpatine, but we've seen this with Luke, and he wasn't a Palpatine. I, I guess he came from Vader, and it was a way to convey that, but I figure every Jedi has to face their evil side at some point. I didn't take it as every, but yes, when you face the darkness, you realize the darkness is you. That's what Luke learned in his cave. We're having a replay of that here. I get why J.J. likes to go practical, though, because when they CGI Evil Ray's face to have pointed teeth and things, it's like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. It was not good CGI. I mean, Andy Serkis, well, they at least used his voice at one point, but yeah, it does remind me of Smeagol. And then she goes out, and for reasons, Kylo Ren knows where she was going the whole time. Did he know that the Sith Wayfinder was here? Because when they were having that FaceTime fight he realized that he, she was in his room and took the dagger and did he know that where the dagger went does the dagger on one side say where one of them is and on the other side say where the other one is i think it says on one side to use a staff three meters long and then on the other side it says cut one <laughs> meter off of it for the staff of Ra. <laughs> uh you know uh, we, we we have our jokes and, and 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 they're very valid this is all very frustrating as plot And again, I just want to say Star Wars is always at its best, I think, for children and for early us when we're just having fun. So I try to give it the idea that as long as I'm having fun in these scenes, it's honoring what's best about Star Wars. Well, there's been a lot of quote-unquote fun or at least action going on. But again, I can't help escaping that... I'm I'm in a Transformers movie, you know? It just, I, I, that's the kind of quote-unquote fun I feel we're being fed. I don't feel like Transformers, even if these themes are just barely peppered in there, I don't feel like Transformers has any themes. It's just robots blow stuff up. But I like this moment. Yeah, Kylo's going to show up and we're, we're going to have a face-off and I like where this goes. This was still in my dark times on my first watching. <laughs> wow. When I realized Finn getting there has no point and that... They're having this lightsaber fight. And one of the things I noticed once they start fighting, there's no score. That comes in like halfway through the fight and it gives it kind of a raw power that like this is just a brutal face off when you're just having, you know, the sound effects and the Foley work and all that. I'm getting the emotion. I actually am. And who wins the fight? 
Leia. In the middle of the fight, we keep cutting back to the Resistance base and getting people who aren't Carrie Fisher talking about Carrie Fisher. Yeah, poor Lupito Nyong'o. I've never felt, you know, they made such a big deal that this Oscar-winning actress was coming (laughs) into the franchise. You may not even realize that it's her in a mocap suit playing a Ninja Turtle. And her job in this movie, last time she just was off somewhere else, couldn't be bothered to participate. And now she gets to explain everyone, oh, Leia has has to die in order for Han Solo to appear, I think. You know, one, the one thing with Maz, since we're talking about her, the one mystery box, the one present, I guess my parents forgot where they hid it and they couldn't <laughs> give it to me, is how did she get that lightsaber from Luke from Bespin? Like, I, that, that is one dangling thing. Well, I guess, you know, we're never told how Palpatine came back either, but I, I was always wondering, how did they get the lightsaber from Bespin? Yeah, I wish that had been answered. And what happened with Luke's green lightsaber? I don't know. He- what happened with Luke's hand? If they got his lightsaber, they got to have the hand too. So Leia, she reaches out to her son. Does projecting yourself with the force after a certain age just kill you? Because this is what happened to Luke. It's going to happen to Leia here. We don't see it with Kylo and Rey when they're FaceTiming each other. After a certain age? I think it's because they're a dyad. But anybody can do this force projection, but it takes a lot out of you. And it's when I rewatched The Last Jedi, because I always thought Luke's death at the end of Last Jedi was as convenient as Yoda's death in Return of the Jedi. And, you know, but there is the line set up where during one of the first four Skypes, Kylo Ren's like, you couldn't be doing this. The strain of it would kill you. So apparently force projection is a power, but it's a power that it drains your battery really quick. And Leia didn't have that much battery to begin with. And so, yeah, and I want to be clear. I think the actress Daisy Ridley is quite competent in doing all of the wirefu martial arts stuff. Like, I have no problem with her as a lover or a fighter. She's, if anything, the problem is she's too competent and that makes her kind of boring. She is way overpowered here. I mean, I stand by everything I said in the Force Awakens podcast about her. Now she's had a lot of time to train. But man, even in the height of the Jedi Order, nobody had the power she has. That's what I'm saying. People are like, there was four ceiling before she stabs Kylo Ren and again here's a moment is she gonna go evil like she's got a lot of emotion maybe anger when she stabs him when Kylo's distracted by his mom but no she immediately turns around she is regenerating cells and closing up a hole through his chest yeah again it it really takes the stakes away of like well now she I mean like no matter what happened no matter what they show me I know she can walk in and you know she's all that in a bag of sis she's just gonna like change it all and you get an ice cream cone to boot like she's just going to be the give me queen and nothing will uh, bad will ever happen because of her yeah I really thought that if, if she could do this to Kylo Ren why couldn't when Obi-Wan is holding a dying Qui-Gon he just be like oh no I can fix that hole in you that Darth Maul put there here let me just transfer some of my force into you and you'll be fine but it's not just stabbing him that does it it's that I think Rey was about to go evil and then she feels Leia's death through the force and that's when she realizes what have I done and she not only heals that hole in his chest did you guys notice she heals that scar on his face that she gave him in episode 7 Oh, yeah, you know what? It is gone later. I didn't make a conscious uh, acknowledgement of it, though, no. This is where she's like, I've gone Luke. I almost killed Kylo Ren, just like Luke almost killed Kylo Ren. So I'm going to steal Kylo Ren's car, and I'm going to go to Octu, and I'm just going to hide out. 
another way station in the long, long road to the inevitability <laughs> of Exegol that just, again, I know they want to give everyone their moment. There was the Han moment that we're going to have here with Kylo Ren while she's having the Luke moment. It's just too many characters. What can I say? I want things to move. I, I, I know things are moving. I want them to be exciting. And there is a difference in my mind. No, I, I agree. Like, these are the moments I want, though, is like, let's develop characters and show them interacting. And like, how do these old school characters feel about what the new ones are doing? You know, those kind of conversations. I do feel like there's a huge course correction. Like, Ray is going to take that lightsaber and she's going to throw it harder than Luke ever tossed it over his shoulder. And Ghost Luke is just, he's going to catch it and and gently walk it towards her. If a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect than to be tossed over my shoulder by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, huge course correction from The Last Jedi, which, look, I had a huge problem with that scene, but I laughed out loud because I'm like, I see what you're doing, JJ. Like, it, it's real obvious now. Yeah, and I, again, I think it helps clarify a theme. I, I, I hear that you wanted it elucidated in a better way. I don't think you're wrong. I think that it could have been. I think that if they could go back in time to 2012 and craft this trilogy, they could tell the same movies in a much more cohesive, impacting, emotionally touching way. I will say the thing that I like, I I guess I could credit JJ maybe for it, is the moment between Han and I guess I'll call him Ben Solo at this point. He's no longer Kylo Ren. Like when Han died, it it didn't really have an impact. I thought it was kind of, you know, you could see it coming and we all know that Harrison Ford wanted to be out of this franchise, but I was surprised when he shows up here, whether it's just a, a memory in Kylo's head or I don't think it's a force ghost. He's not blue and glowy, but I, you know, there's that moment where he asked his dad for help and they do that same shot where he's holding that lightsaber. And this time he does toss it. I, I thought that was a powerful moment. Like I like this stuff. I wish, yeah, it was written this way from the beginning and and so we could have these impactful moments. Han Solo is one of my favorite characters from the entire saga. And I said it and I stand by it. Once Kylo Ren killed Han Solo the way he did, which was a bad way for Harrison Ford to die. It's a shitty death for a great character. He's irredeemable. And and again, I, I get that point. Forgiveness and grace is hard to grant. And thankfully, I've never had to be in a position of like forgiving someone that's murdered someone that I know. It's only been coming through characters. But all we have to talk about is, yes, how we feel when characters are dispensed and used. And I want this scene to mean something. I would like to be feeling something. I get what they were trying to get. I wish I could say I was there, though. I feel like Ray in the Lotus position going, be with me, be with me. I'm trying. I really am. I want all the story to come together. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And this scene makes me feel it. This scene heals my hatred for this film, the way Rey healed the hole in Kylo Ren's stomach. When I see Han here, I'm bugged that it's a memory. I'm bugged that this is really just Ben Solo forgiving himself. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, 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 I like the way they replay it. Word for word, I I need to do this, but I don't know if I have the strength. And then he's like, father, and he wants to say something, and Harrison Ford delivers the perfect I know. And I'm like, all right, if, if Harrison Ford can forgive you, even if it is just your memory and not a real ghost, wouldn't it have been great if it was a ghost? I, all anybody wanted was to see Han, Luke, and Leia on screen together again in this trilogy. Wouldn't it have been great if even at the end... At the- just as Force ghosts at the end. I thought we were going to go there. I thought that actually that was happening. And maybe 
does in a weird way, like wait, just off screen, like they're all partying in some forced palace somewhere. Well, yeah, they're all in the stars. We'll see that towards the end, that Jedi just hanging out in the sky. Well, I because of how J.J. and did this, because Harrison showed up and forgave his son, and his son said didn't say, but said, I love you, and throws that saber away, I'm like, you did what I thought could never be done. You made me actually believe in Ben Solo's redemption. Wow. Okay, good. I was I was curious to know, because I know the movie was asking it of us, whether you could lay that down. I did. I Adam Driver's performance cannot be understated how much that works. Yeah, he, he's an actual actor, so he could pull this off. Yeah, the, his face, his eyes. It's really powerful. And you know what I didn't notice the first time I watched it? Ben Solo doesn't speak for the rest of the film. He says one ow. It's kind of funny. But he never talks again after the speech with his father. And glad to know there are people that are having that experience. I'm really trying to get back with this movie. I saw it a second time because I was wanting to make this movie be over soon. I was actively wanting to like, can we just get to Exicle? I'm tired of this. Get there. Let's do this. But no, we do go to Octu and have Ray burning up that TIE fighter. I mean, she's closing that door. We see a fire going on. I'm like, is that tree still burning that Yoda set on fire? <laughs> yeah. I, and we we get to see Porgs. And, you know, after the emotional moment with Kylo Ren and Harrison Ford, Porgs will never not make me smile. We just get a quick shot of two Porgs. And I'm like, oh, Porgs. I love Porgs. We also get a quick shot of two young Skywalkers, you know, as Luke's talking to Rey. That there is that flashback to set up that, yeah, Leia was trained in the for- ways of the Jedi. I don't know. The de-aging looks better than it did in Rogue One. And they also kind of look like just video game avatars. For some reason, the Mark Hamill looked better to me than the Carrie Fisher did. Agree. And yeah. I was wondering, did they de-age Mark Hamill the way they did the other actors? Did they put dots on his face and give him a facelift like Michael Douglas in Endgame? And did they have to completely create Carrie Fisher? Is that the issue? I don't know now. I think it's because she holds a lightsaber close to her face and it gives it a blue shimmer. And so it just doesn't look right to me. But yet seeing them young and training, it's the closest you're ever going to get to trying to believe Carrie Fisher could swing a lightsaber. Well, you know, they do have Billy Lord on set. She is Carrie Fisher's daughter. She has a thankless role of looking through data and saying something every now and then. But I wonder if maybe they keep her around just for that reason. She will also be attending the funeral of her mother. And I thought that added a extra postmodern sense of sadness to it. Yeah, kind of like using Paul Walker's brother when you're going to paste Paul Walker's face on someone. Maybe that was Billy Lord instead of just random stunt person in that outfit. What we're told here, and it took me, again, three watchings to really understand this. Leia sensed the death of her son at the end of her Jedi path. And that's why she stopped. She was either pregnant or about to get pregnant or just gave birth. And she stopped her Jedi training after beating Luke in a lightsaber fight because she sensed that her training would lead to the death of her son. But someone will someday pick up the saber and continue my journey. It's sloppy and I'm not feeling it. But okay, they're they're tying bows on things and they're trying to get to an end. And so to manipulate the force, here's the fine point of it. You actually don't need any training. You can just burn all the old Jedi books. You don't have to go to Luke's class. You can just fake it until you make it, right? Like, that's the message here. You can be anybody. You can do anything. You just have to believe you can do it. 
the power of positive thinking. And I mean, that kind of was Ryan Johnson's message in The Last Jedi. Burn the books. You don't need them. But except the books who never got burned. That was a fake. I know. Uh, I know that. But that was what he was trying to say. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like Ryan Johnson was trying to get there of like, I don't like this dynasty of thinking that there are leaders that can use this and a whole bunch of people that'll never be good enough. Except here's what I took from Ryan Johnson's movie from Broom Boy and what I'm taking from Baby Yoda on The Mandalorian and what I'm taking from this movie. Okay. Some people are born force sensitive, some people aren't. It's kind of like I no matter what I did in my life, I would never be an NBA player. I was born with genetics that would keep me too short no matter what I did. That was not going to happen in my life. Yeah, but you could have been a good college player, a good yeah. high school. Like we all have some kind of ability if we want to train and work at it. Some kind of ability, maybe. But what I take it as is some people are force sensitive. And those people like Broom Boy and like Baby Yoda, without training, are able to do things much like we're told Anakin was as a child. He thought it was instinct, but the reason he was such a great pilot is because he was instinctively using the force that was so strong in him. But you're never going to be able to float rocks and shit unless you actually train and read those books and yeah, go to school. I, I thought that this trilogy that hints at it is that the force has changed. It, it's trying to help everyone now. Some are going to have more power than others, but it, it can influence everyone. It's like Stuart said, the democratization of the force. I don't think Lando or Poe ever feel the force. I think certain people who are force sensitive feel the force. Okay, I think you're holding on to an old idea that I think this new movie trilogy has is saying something different to me. That's the way what I'm hearing, and it seems to be a popular sentiment of right now is you can actually do whatever you want. You don't need to even like <laughs> train for it. You can just will yourself into you know the secret, like all of this self help stuff. I do feel it's a very popular sentiment of of creating yourself. Yeah, I don't think I don't see it that extreme. I do see it as you can open yourself up to it and it can have an influence in your life. If you want to say that's like Jesus, you can say it's like that. But, you know, it's that kind of new age religion feel. I, I do think that's exactly where they're going. They're going with the idea of religious faith. If if they hadn't made Ray the granddaughter of Palpatine and shown a blood lineage to that power, I would agree with you. But I think they undercut that message with doing that. But what about Finn? Some people are force sensitive. What about Broom Boy? Yeah, I mean, we just can't know. The difference we're having is you believe that there is still something in the genetics. There's midichlorians. There, you believe in midichlorians, and I believe everyone can go to church. Arnie's of the Jewish people. You got to be born in the tribe. Yes. Okay. Yes, right. you have to be the chosen ones. All right. And so Ray, because she is still connected to a dynasty that has midichlorians running in it, be it evil or good, she is the one to be the, uh, you know, they used the word chosen one in those early prequel movies. Is she some kind of chosen one? Is she better than anybody else? Or is she just the only act in town that can do the force? What I think it is, is she is fighting with going dark, kind of like Luke was Theoretically, I think Ray actually shows it better than Luke. I never really believed Luke was feeling like he was going dark side. It would have been nicer if I saw him like force choke Jabba or something. But here, Ray is showing me by stabbing Kylo Ren, she is 
on the precipice. She is for the to finish her training, much like Luke had to go confront Vader, she has to confront the Emperor and that will determine whether she goes light or dark. The Emperor wants her. Is it because she's so powerful? Is it because she's his granddaughter? He wants, we're going to get to, wants to transfer his spirit into her. Yeah, that brings up a whole nother issue about whatever's going on with him. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Gender fluidity. I want to know so much more about him than I ever did in the prequels. He's he already he's like Empress Palpatine. Yeah, he seems that like there's a desire there. It's yeah, there's an excitement that he does not have for Kylo. What he also says though is all the Sith are in him. It's implying we get these like weird monks in the background chanting in a foreign language. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, I took that as just again, we'll see the Jedi, they live in the stars and you could hear their voices at the end. I didn't take this as real Sith. This was just the projection of the the lineage of all the Sith in this Sith planet. What I literally took this as is this is the spirit of every Sith. When a yeah, Jedi exactly. dies, he can become a Force ghost and have a happy life and talk to people. When a Sith dies, they end up in this arena. This is hell. You're underneath some like giant pyramid. Yeah, it's heaven and hell concepts that that the energy gets passed to a place of absolute good or absolute evil. But because of the Sith rule of two, whenever the master is killed, all the spirits of the Sith go into the apprentice. And this is a retcon I do like. I've always been like, the Emperor's really selfless if you think about it. He's like, kill Vader, join me, I'm cool with that. Or kill me, and you and your father rule the galaxy as Sith, I'm cool with that. Yeah, it never made much sense in Return of the Jedi, like, how that's all gonna work. Yeah. Now what we find out is whoever kills the Emperor, if it is done in hatred, will turn dark. And if they turn dark, then the Emperor and all the other Sith inside the Emperor, Darth Plagueis the Wise and all the others, are going to go into that person. Since So if Luke had killed the Emperor, not only would Luke be evil, but the Emperor would live on in Luke. And it makes sense with the Sith obsession with uh, not being able to die and keep on living. I mean, the whole thing that seduced Anakin, theoretically, in Revenge of the Sith. Like, all this stuff makes sense. Maybe, I don't know if it works for you, Stuart, because you're not as as deep into the mythology. But yeah, I do like all these little moments as someone that has really paid attention to this mythology throughout my whole life. It's kind of paying off here. Yeah, I mean, again, my struggle is not that I'm not buying what they're telling me, although there's probably an element of that, is that I'm just kind of not into the whole experience anymore. (laughs) Like, I've just... The movie's kind of beyond hope at this point. Like, I've been kind of bored during all of this, and... I kind of been bored too, but I come around once Han shows up and you get Mm -hmm. that scene and then you get this group. They go back to wherever the rebels are hiding out generic forest planet. And you know what? We get to see Chewie actually express some emotion at the death of a character. I I feel like this is a correction from the force awakens where Chewie doesn't even get to acknowledge that Han is dead. We get to see him fall to his knees and more than Leia's passing. I don't know. These these are little moments here that are are turning me around where it's kind of like, uh, this is kind of a generic action film too. Okay. There is some heart here i'm exactly with you jacob i the first 90 minutes of this two and a half hour film so much is happening so much action and i'm feeling none of it so i am clock watching on my first viewing and 
I'm really getting into it here at the end. Now, there's another Poe storyline. There's the Poe was a spice runner storyline. There's another one. (laughs) Apparently, he was supposed to lead the resistance this whole time. Like, this was his arc from the beginning. Well, we kind of saw... I mean, people talk about Holdo as, like, you know, cock-blocking him. But she said, I do like him. Like, she did probably see him as eventually being, uh, once he learned the rule of authority, that he could eventually command. That was his arc in episode eight, is from going to I know everything and we must attack to actually caring about his troops. That's the whole thing. At the end, he is not going to take everyone on a suicide mission like he did on the bombers. But here, we had all the spice running stuff, but when they got to the moon of Endor and he and Finn get into this argument and Finn's like, you don't know what she's going through. And Poe's like, you do? I do, and so does Leia. (laughs) Well, I'm not Princess Leia. That's for sure. Yes. What is that? Where did that come from? What is the motivation of that argument? Because we now must thrust him in the role of having to lead everyone. They don't even know Leia's dead. Leia's alive. No, I know. I I understand your complaint about that moment, and it is bad dialogue. But what the script writers are trying to do is mash together the idea thematically that everyone is experiencing insignificance. JJ can't live up to be Lucas. Daisy Ridley can't live up to be Mark Hamill. Everyone is trying to live in the shadows. And so Poe has to grow into the reputation of Princess Leia and what she represented to these few rebels that are still left. That gives him some agony and some looking up at the stars. I think there's something left on the cutting room floor. I think there had to be scenes where Poe made choices for the whole group that Ray and Finn maybe didn't agree with or something, I wish, because we get this moment where he goes, they're back on the planet, he goes and sits with Princess Leia and is like, I'm not ready. I'm not you. And then Lando comes in. We get another Lando moment. He gives a pep talk. When were we ready? We won because we had each other. And that lets Poe realize, I don't need to be in sole command. I'm best when I'm working with Finn. I need Finn to be a general with me as co-generals were strong. I wish I saw stuff that would lead that to being a character revelation where he's like, I'm on my own. I'm solo in more ways than one. And now I'm going to realize that I'm best when I'm supported by my friends. Yeah, because they're kind of bumbling when they're together. Like we never see them like really uh, at peak rebel performance when they work together. That would have been a payoff. Yes. We saw that evolution. Exactly. So we get the moment which I like. I like the delivery because I like these actors. John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, when he runs to Finn and Finn's like, I got something to tell you. Me first. I need you. And he's like, well, I got, oh, well, thank you, by the way. And general, general. It's just a fun exchange, but I got to think something. When I read that novelization, maybe there will be an entire plot for Poe's evolution that is not in this movie. If you took the spice running and you took this and you actually made it one cohesive arc then poe would have something to do in this movie but the best he has to do is giving the rousing speech right before the attack of exegol yeah he has to be captain america he's eventually going to lead what few ships they have left and they're all battered and everyone doesn't think they can win it's like that one character from the alias show that was cynical like he's your wingman. It's like he doesn't believe that things are going well so, yeah, all of this leads to that dark moment where he's like, nobody's coming, nobody loves me, wah, we're outmatched. 
And of course, that's so they can replay the end of Avengers Endgame. It's a cool looking moment with all those ships show up and they bring everyone, but there's no one else in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. There's not like the Doctor Strange sorcerer people to show up and guardians from all these different planets of the galaxy to show up. And it's just ships show up. And again, that could be going with this theme that, hey, it just people decided to be good. And they just showed up to fight for their freedom. And I feel like thematically that works, but as a dramatic moment, it's just a bunch of ships. Like, okay. It's a CGI fest. The power of Endgame, the reason I welled up at Endgame, is it was all these people we knew and hadn't seen the whole movie. Here, they pull out one person, Dennis Lawson, who played Wedge in the originals, shows up for Blink and you miss him, even though they didn't put a helmet on him. Is it because people might recognize what he looks like? Because I didn't recognize him. I didn't. My first thought when I see Dennis Lawson was, did they give Anthony Daniels a role out of his armor? That's what I thought. (laughs) No, it's Wedge from the original trilogy back. I'm like, couldn't you have brought some people back? I mean, I know the Star Wars is a very small universe. There aren't a whole lot of people you could have brought back, but... Man, you've made Rogue One, you made Solo, you have these cartoons. I'm not big into melding the cartoons in, but come on, bring in Freddie Prince Jr. or something. <laughs> Sky Guy, Ahsoka. She's in here. What? Ahsoka's in here. Her voice is. Now, one of those ships is the Ghost, and the Ghost is the ship from Rebels. But come on, cast some live action people, put them in the classic outfits, do some fan service here to make this matter more than, what is this, the well-regulated space militia that comes to fight off the tyrannical government? I, I guess it does speak to the power of Billy D. Williams. He really is the smoothest man in the galaxy because he's the one that convinces all these people, right? Like, that's been his mission while everyone else went to Exegol, like, to find people to help fight. I just pictured the Falcons, the party bus, and he's like, I got all this Colt 45 at Exegol. <laughs> And don't forget about Zuri is here too. And and so is Babu Frick. That is such a, you know, I've liked Carrie Russell a lot in a lot of things, including Felicity, but her so long Sky Trash line reminded me too much of Sky Guy. And all of a sudden I turn on Zuri in this moment. Yeah, it's all that they have to make us feel nostalgic. Be nostalgic for that chick that we barely got a glimpse of under her visor an hour ago. And yeah, no, I'm I'm more into Finn and Jana trying to you know riding their space horses on a star destroyer to dismantle an antenna. Like that, that's where my attention is. I don't care about Car- Carrie Russell in this film. Are we still in the first sixteen hours of this record? I mean, I'm sorry. Are we still in the first sixteen <laughs> hours? of the time since the Star Destroyers are supposed to leave? Because are we supposed to understand that they went to like 12 planets searching for MacGuffins, including Endor, and then went back to the Rebel base, and there Finn's like, okay, I need to go back to Endor, get Janna, all her people, all her horses loaded up, and then go to Exegol? I I think they stopped and got him on the way, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of travel going on in this 16 hours. There sure is. Maybe racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles but it hasn't racked up goodwill for these characters. I wish that I cared about Janna. I wish I cared about Babu Frick and all these things that it sounds like you guys do care more than I do. I, I'm into this final battle. I like that they're because this is a low atmosphere battle, you're able to ride space horses on a ship. I kind of dig that. Again, show me something I haven't seen. It, it's a double-edged sword. Like, we're going to still have planet-destroying lasers in this, but at least we, we got some new creatures and a new way to fight these Star Destroyers. I actually think that maybe they should have just forget the whole idea that we're all coming together. They didn't build the Star Wars universe the same way they built the Marvel universe. You do just have it a few against 
the mini. Mm-hmm. And you do just make it about horses versus machines. You know, just like the end of Return of the Jedi, where it was Ewoks versus ATSTs. It's yeah. always, the rebels are always anti-tech and the Imperials are always counting on their tech. I like Janna. She wins me over in this movie. She doesn't have much to do, Mm-mm. but I really feel like it's Z- Janna versus Zori because we go to two different planets, meet two different women, get two different backstories, and then we move on. That really should have been consolidated in a rewrite, guys. Yeah. But I Janna wins me over a little bit more. I think it's the performance of Naomi Aki, but... I like Janna when she and Finn are on that Star Destroyer. She's like, I'm staying with you. I'm wondering, has Finn got a third love interest in three movies? Is he going for Naomi now? Because everybody else is going to flee. I don't think he was ever into Rose. Rose was into him. He wasn't into Rose. Yeah, that, it's got to be hard if someone like nearly kills themselves to save your life and then expects your undying love in return. And you're like, no. He's like, I found one of my own, an ex-stormtrooper. I'm going with her. <laughs> yeah, or Ray. I'm still actually holding out for Ray. But again, it could be kind of fun, something to play with. If there were more episodes to come, something to explore. But as a battle, anonymous ships showing up, not as exciting as what Ray's going to do in front of the Emperor. That's all that matters in this, really. I mean, unlike Return of the Jedi, where they had an important character in each part of an important battle, here, there's... 2,000 Death Stars, and they blow them up and they drop a line. Their shields won't work in atmosphere, and they need this special antenna to fly up, blah, blah, blah. Couldn't follow any of it. It's like, okay, just <laughs> blow up the magic thing that makes it, you know, the, the center of the Death Star. What infuriates me is when the Emperor sits in that throne finally and just shoots his lightning in the sky, I guess, to power his ships or destroy the rebel ships but it's just like blue shiny laser in the sky that we've seen in so many superhero films yeah what it does is it acts like it disables the rebel ships so they can't attack and they're just sitting ducks that's all his it it, unlike when ray used it and it blew up a ship when palpatine uses it it just Just short circuits because we don't want to kill anybody Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I'm sensing that. I mean, again, if we kill them, don't worry. She can just run over and touch them and, and turn them back to life. The ones who are getting killed is when Ben Solo goes full Jedi ninja and he's like taking out the Knights of Ren as he's trying to get to the Emperor's lair. I Again, there, there's stuff that's not great, but there's little moments like that that I'm enjoying in this climax. I love Adam Driver in this when he jumps on that chain and he does this ow. And I, I'm feeling like he's looking at Harrison Ford's action performances and like Indiana Jones and channeling a little of that, the human action star. And he fights the Knights of Ren and gets beaten up. And then, you know, we think Ray's saying, okay, I'll kill you. It doesn't even feel like it's an anger or hate. It doesn't feel like this would be a dark side moment, but they're starting some ceremony. He's like, you can save your friends. Strike me down. Like we saw in Return of the Jedi and Ray's like, I'm going to do it. But Ben psychically, wordlessly communicates with her. I think that we're supposed to understand she wants to kill Palpatine for having Ochi stab her parents that sold her into slavery or whatever. Like, that is the ultimately when she makes the decision, I want Palpatine dead, is because the people that actually gave birth to me were murdered by him, by his order. But specifically, she's going to do it consciously because he can't trick her into it. He can't piss her off into doing it by showing her as he showed Luke your fleet is destroyed then she'll agree to strike him down and he can enter her body as he entered her grandmother (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Horny Palpatine. I want the movie. It's not going to be on Disney Plus. I can tell you that. <laughs> but Ben communicates with her and we get this. Uh, it's kind of cool. She like reaches her saber back, but then it's like she's using it like a back scratcher. You can't see her hand or the saber. It comes out. There's no saber. And while being beaten up by the Knights of Ren, Ben does that move. He pulls out the saber. And again, just his like, yeah, I got a saber now. Yeah, I, li- I like that. Again, it should be said, she has both sabers. She has Luke and Leia's sabers. And yeah, she shares one. And it's, I thought it was a cool moment. They they set that up with all this FaceTiming and being able to interact with the world behind them. I, I guess you just email lightsabers now. Yeah, just the Knights of Ren being like, dude, where the hell did he pull that out of his ass? <laughs> and he just does the hand motion that is just so cool. Royal Guards fight. I know we got Praetorian Guards last time, and that was pretty close, but now we actually get to see Royal Guards pull out guns and shoot. It was weird. I I thought because this felt like such a black magic scenario, like, yeah, there'd just be more Sith lightning and lightsabers, but yeah, they just got guns. I thought they'd have pikes and whips and things like the Praetorian Guards. They actually end up being far less cool than they were in the mind of my eight-year-old self. So, if this is indeed the final chapter, you have to make everyone fight everyone, right? Like, you have to make it so that it's not just Ray versus some old guy suspended from a coat hanger. It's got (laughs) to be, like, Yoda and every Jedi that ever was and Darth Vader. every Jedi. Shaka Khan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaka Khan's got to get in there, too. You got to do it all. You say that, but I just felt like that was a counterpoint to what they set up with the Sith. If the Sith just jump from body to body, okay, here's the Jedi version of that. We see Ben, he gets thrown down some kind of hole in the ground. As and- I fell, so falls the last Skywalker. He's thrown down a bottomless pit. Was it bottomless? Well, he, he climbs back up, so I guess it can't be bottomless, bottomless. But Ray, she gets knocked out, but she looks up into the stars and hears all those voices. We got, I heard Qui-Gon, I heard Alec Guinness, I heard Yoda. There's a lot of other voices there. I read the cast list. There's a ton. They brought every Jedi back for these voices. I thought I heard Samuel Jackson. Sam Jackson was there. And again, like I said, Hayden Christensen was brought back to say, bring balance to the force as I did. Yeah. yeah and, and earlier they had James Earl Jones do the Vader voice. Mm-hmm. So that, that was neat to have the good side now. And also in here is Ahsoka Tano. Ashley <laughs> I read that. <laughs> really? Now, unfortunately, they brought in, I think, too many voices from the Clone Wars. We get Adi Gallia and Luminara Unduli. And yeah, I knew Isla the names. Sakura. I once owned the toys, but yeah, yeah, they're not recognizable voices. No, that's the thing is I don't even think if you, I watched every episode of the Clone Wars, I'd be able to know that those voices were there. If you just had Ashley Eckstein and gave her a bit more prominence, I think it would have driven it home more. But Freddie Prince Jr. is one of those voices and Liam Neeson and of course Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. But I, again, these themes are peppered in here. I like it. We've seen the Sith, how they put pour all their soul into a body. Now we see how the Jedi do it. The I don't want Star Wars to be super deep. Like, if it works on a young adult level, I think that's successful as far as themes go. Like, I... I don't want that Ryan Johnson adult level Star Wars. Yeah. I, at least I don't think I do. At least with these saga films. I, I want it to be a little bit simpler, but I want the themes there. So I appreciate this moment. I think it's a, a pretty solid Star Wars moment. Yeah. If Last Jedi is the judge, ultimately they're wise to avoid going too deep. 
like it just won't hold the center won't hold if you ask too much of the premise and so yes it's just a pile on of voice actors uh and a light show that is probably something you can see when you go to disney world it, it kills her uh, we see that Ray is going to do the, oh, I'm dead thing and need to be brought. Why does she die? It took a lot. That was a lot of electricity. To stand behind a shield of. Yes. Yeah, she just crossed the lightsabers, crossed the beams, and fought off Palpatine. I'm glad they disintegrated Palpatine. That means whoever that, makes the matter? next trilogy. I would have thought the nuclear reactor would have disintegrated him. <laughs> it took away a finger. I mean, we get to see he heals himself from the Jedi Dyad. We didn't mention that. But before he throws Ben into that pit, he's like, to become one true emperor and he's able to like he doesn't need to go into ray anymore he can just suck out their life energy and heal himself and grow limbs back you think he might have done that for anakin you know give him a leg or two he if he can grow limbs back but i guess the jedi diet hadn't been seen in decades and so there was no diet around to heal anakin but he can heal himself that's why he's formidable and can shoot all that lightning is he's no longer just the the deadite on the coat hanger but but what happens here so ray i guess dies because she defeats palpatine ben climbs out of that hole and does he heal her does he give his life force because he's gonna die right after this he disappears so we know he's jedi dead he heals her the way she heals him they have a passionate kiss and he dies i know people wanted that yeah I, I sense that they did want to be a couple in a lot of ways, either for evil or for good. And here it just feels like some kind of lame compromise where we don't have to deal with him. We'll just make him disappear, you know, like a kiss and he's gone and he doesn't have to like go and make amends for the people he's hurt and the things that he's done. Yeah, I mean, it, it's stupid that she died. It's as convenient as Luke dying at the end of the last one. And then... Him dying instead of her. I'm like, he took a hell of a fall. Was he going to live anyway? Did Was he dying anyway? And he was able to bring her back as a last act. Did he give his life for hers? It's unclear. And honestly, it's tidy. I think this movie wants to be tidy, but it's not fulfilling. You know, and I never liked endings in Star Wars. Like, I wasn't satisfied when we saw Vader's face and all of that. Like, even as a child, never worked for me. My favorite ending was Empire Strikes Back and the the the, the idea of getting to those movie serials and always wanting to leave more and teasing that there's more of the story to tell that you may never get to. Uh, you're right. They want a tidy ending that doesn't leave those kinds of strands. But honestly, it just, yeah, it just feels kind of lame. Like, like whenever they try to do this. I would have been fine with both of them dying. I would have been fine with, you know, sacrificing themselves to save the universe. I would have been fine with Chewbacca dying and 3PO not getting his memory back, too. It's not the movie I'm watching. I mean, maybe ambiguous, like, the whole anvil finally falls of the building and we don't know what happened to either one of them. And, like, they're just gone. We don't know. Worked so well for Matrix 3. People love that. I did get a big Matrix 3 vibe out of this one. <laughs> That, that movie didn't fail because of its ending. That movie failed from start to finish. But uh, my point is, maybe less is more. I anytime it starts to feel like a Hallmark Channel movie, maybe don't do it. I, like Ryan Johnson, as an adult now, struggle with that kind of sentimentality. I, I agree. As much as I didn't like The Last Jedi, I, I, this movie made me empathize with Ryan Johnson. Yeah. 
He didn't want to do those kinds of scenes. He wanted to push back on that kind of hokey sentimentality. And I feel that, but maybe that's Star Wars. Maybe you got to let Star Wars be Star Wars and not try to ask too much of it. Um, no, I'm not quite going with it. I don't feel the prequels were overly sentimental in that way. I didn't feel anything from them. But we're not done yet. We got to have our victory celebration like in Return of the Jedi. And we get to see Ewoks. Wicked is still alive. That is Warwick Davis back in the outfit. But okay, can we talk about Lando? Because during the celebration, we see Bespin. Like, he's going to go up to Janna. And Janna's like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Bespin. Where are you from? She's like, I'm not sure. He's like, well, let's find out. I'm like... Jana's got to be his daughter, right? But the way he says, let's find out, he's like, well, we're going to go under the covers and find out where you're from. Yeah, you know what? I didn't read it that way. I, I read that that, that, was, that is a reading that you could have of that. I actually smell Disney Plus show. I actually think that he said, if I'm coming back, I want more than this. And they said, well, what if we have a spinoff with you and Jana trying to find out where she came from? And we all know that John Boyega ain't going to do it. So Yeah, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver have all said, we're done. No Disney Plus for us. This is the last movie. This is the last Star Wars. But did you see Chewie get his medal from Maz Kanata? I thought we were going to see another kiss. I had to go to the internet because I'm like, what does this mean? I could not understand. Usually I'm like, I'll let the guys tell me. But I'm like, no, I ain't going into show without knowing what the hell. But Chewie didn't get a medal at the end of A New Hope. I, yes, I, I remember it now from our conversation way back then. Like it all made sense once I found, I did recognize it. But it's so awkward how it plays. It's again, it's like, hey, here's a correction, guys. Chewie's like, if it would have been, because it couldn't be Leia's medal. She did, she gave out the medals but like hey han wanted to give this to you and, and here you go or, or something like that is it han's medal i think it is did you guys notice because i didn't notice first viewing but when leia dies she's holding that medal when she, they carry her off i didn't notice that and she's laying down to communicate with ben she's holding that medal on her and so i gotta think it's han's medal that she kept around and so since she was going to visit her son she took something of her husband or her lover whatever they were i wish they would have just called it out as an inheritance as opposed to like hey look guys chewie finally got his medal like I, it would have been a sweeter moment if it was Passing something on from Han to Chewie because Chewie never got to mourn Han's death. Finn is walking around and he's looking for someone. He's looking for Ray. Is he going to finally tell Ray something? He and Poe and Ray find each other and have this three way hug. Yeah, and that was awkward too. Like, they, she really, there needed to be a choice here, unless they're going to go for some kind of coupling that's, uh, hey, I mean, maybe I shouldn't judge. That was my feeling is polyamory. If that's your deal, that's cool. I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, they're all end up together. They don't have to pick just one, but it, it felt like part of this movie's creative choice that it couldn't make decisions like that. Well, she's not alone, though. She goes to Tatooine for reasons to bury these lightsabers. I mean, again, because I have this strong nostalgic connection to these films, uh, just getting to see the Lars homestead, not quite the Skywalker homestead, but the Lars homestead, and now it's filled with sand. It, it's, it's fun to revisit these. I don't understand why she's burying both the lightsabers there, and you know we're going to see she has her own. And this lady she meets on Tatooine, that's not like, I'm like, is that the librarian <laughs> from Attack of the Clones? Is that someone we're supposed to know? It's just a nosy neighbor. I was yeah. like, who are you? Yeah, she basically, again, because the whole theme has been Ray trying to, to know who she was, she decides she is going to be a Skywalker. She is just going to anoint herself. However, biologically, that may not be true. She can be whatever she claims. The fact that she is like, no, I'm a Skywalker. I, I thought the whole point of this was I'm just Ray. 
that should be the ending. Like, that's what they've been telling me. Skywalker, Palpatine, it shouldn't matter. It should just be Rey. But no, she's, yeah, going to take that name and Luke and Leia, they're force ghosts now and they're looking on. Here's the problem with that. If Dynasty doesn't matter, if there is nothing to a name, then how will Disney convince us to care about these specific characters and buy action figures for these people? And But this is the end of the saga. Like, they, they need to push that it doesn't matter for the new films because none of these people are coming back. True. And she has a yellow lightsaber. This is new, right? We've never seen this color before. In video games, they've had yellow lightsabers. I remember playing Jedi Power Battles and they had a Jedi with one. But yeah, this is, for the films, this is new. We saw in A New Hope where you have Luke looking at the twin sons on Tatooine. That was the end of the Revenge of the Sith. So it's like, we got to have that moment in this trilogy too. I just wish... I'm not saying Ray doesn't matter, but overall for this saga, like I don't feel she's justified. When we get Luke doing it, yeah, that's a character that mattered her because I don't really know what her arc is. It feels so pieced together in this trilogy. Like, oh, all of a sudden she's Palpatine's granddaughter, but she's looking at the twin sons. Like, cool moment that always gets a reaction out of me. I always get the feels when I see the twin sons and hear John Williams score. I just wish this was constructed better. Can we all agree before we get into the final thoughts on this film, looking at the trilogy, this trilogy did not do a good job of setting up these three characters as compared to the prequels with Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Amidala, or the originals with Han, Luke, Leia. Poe, Ray, Finn are the weakest of the triads. Yeah, the crazy thing is, like... As much as I dislike the prequels, like that they got issues, I I recognize that. Like I feel that's those are better constructed than this one was, and so and so is it a better trilogy? I don't know, but at least I know what the through line is here. There's characters, and ultimately, I don't know if they matter. And I think Arnie. To that point, the reason why is that they didn't have a chance to breathe. They had too many other people trying to hog the screen with them and to take the spotlight away. And so it couldn't be a movie just about those three. But let's end this movie. Let's end this trilogy. Let's end this Star Wars saga. Final jump, maybe forever. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Rise of Skywalker? Jacob. I feel like this is another film where there's a real weakness to our recommend system because you've just heard us. We've talked a lot about it. Like, you know what we probably think about this film and we all have issues with it. And the fandom for Star Wars, like, who do I recommend this to? Like, there are those toxic people and screw you. You like you might love this because it's not Ryan Johnson. You might hate it because it's Disney get woke, go broke in your opinion. I'm not saying that's my opinion, but Star Wars where you feel it's too social justice warrior because you have a purple haired woman in one of the movies. I have a hard time getting wrapped up in those people's politics, like people that love the Star Wars saga no matter what. Well, you're going to like this one. So I guess uh, the average moviegoer, like people that go see Transformers in movie theaters, like this is better than Transformers. Like, yeah, there's a lot of noise and action scenes early on. But they're satisfying. If, if you find those other films satisfying, you'll find this satisfying. As a Star Wars fan, this is what this trilogy and this film kind of solidified. Like, I came away after the prequels. I, I called myself in one of those podcasts a George Lucas atheist. Like, uh, those, those original films were great, not because of George Lucas. Like, he may have played a part, but there's a lot of other things that made those films great. When George Lucas had full control, we got the prequels. And, and this 
this kind of convinced me, you know what, maybe there was something to George Lucas. He did have some kind of vision, like there was some kind of coherence. And so this film that tries to course correct The Last Jedi and and tries to make ties to The Force Awakens, it's all just a mess. But if you like those Transformers movies, like those are the people I'm going to speak to because, yeah, go see this film. It's a fun action film. It's got some great Star Wars moments, like fans of Star Wars fans like Arnie and I, you're going to have more complex feelings. And I don't know how you're going to feel about this. I got a text from my brother after this film. He hated it. And he liked Star Wars movies. I, I thought it was fine. It was average. It it got the job done. There's some great moments. There's some frustrating moments. But yeah, I'll give it a green arrow. I'll, I'll watch this one again as opposed to The Last Jedi. Stuart. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. I agree in this much. If you wanted to see this new trilogy wrap up, it more or less delivers a concluding chapter that pulls out all the stops and involves as many old and new characters as possible. And even like obscurities, you're saying Ahsoka's voice is here. I mean, Chewie gets his medal. Like there's a lot of fan service and sometimes fan service doesn't actually serve the fans. I'm a very casual fan. So a lot of that probably is completely lost on me. I had to search my feelings and I searched and I searched And I realized I didn't have any. I really didn't feel anything watching this movie. It has all the personality of a beauty queen speaking in world peace platitudes while waving from a parade float. And the parade float has been instructed to put the pedal to the metal because there's snipers on the roof. Because some people are really (laughs) mad at the parade float. (laughs) And so I just like, I don't know, it goes by really fast. I don't have any connection to what is happening. And I know I'm just I'm not moved by it. I can't recommend a movie that I don't feel anything from. I can see when we slowed down and we looked at things thematically, what they could have done, some of the choices. Yeah, I I feel like they were on the path, but what they delivered, I don't know. They I was with them. I was with them when they awakened the force with episode seven. It was an obvious remake of, of episode four, but done with fun new characters. I wanted to see what they could do with it. But then the force got really depressed. It wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> and all of these suicidal thoughts and didn't want it to exist anymore. And I didn't know how to help it. I'm like, I don't know. You want to you wanna kill yourself? I don't think you should do that. I think you should get up. I think we should have a good time. Can't you get out and have a good time? And now the force is popping a Xanax. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to fake a smile. I'm going to give you what you think you deserve. But I can sense it. It didn't have any fun. It didn't enjoy doing it. And I I, I didn't either. So I got to say, not recommend. A mild one. But no, it didn't work. And... Again, I am completely immersed in Star Wars culture, I believe. I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of friends, local and worldwide, that have seen this movie. And I'm seeing, a kind of like Last Jedi, a polarized reaction. Mm -hmm. Those who hate The Last Jedi seem to love this. Oh, interesting. And those that love The Last Jedi seem really let down by this. Yeah. I liked The Last Jedi. I did. I like The Last Jedi more than this movie, I'll say. But I don't hate this movie. But when people say they love this movie, Star Wars fans immersed in the culture say they love this movie, I try to get them to articulate why. Because I don't understand what they're telling me. Because I don't see things in this trilogy to love. Let alone in this installment. I believe this to be the weakest installment of the weakest trilogy of the franchise. Wow, okay. 
I will say this is the weakest trilogy, which is weird because the prequels have so many flaws, but at least there's themes that go throughout them. Yeah, see, you guys are weird to me for that because to me, there's no way not to see what J.J. and Ryan Johnson did as an uptick from Lucas. Mm-mm, mm-mm. On the prequel. I mean, let me be clear. Not the original, but what Lu- Lucas wasn't Lucas anymore, so it was okay for other people to pretend to be Lucas after episodes one, two, and three. And I think... This movie actually had some of the same flaws of Revenge of the Sith, a movie I do like a lot more than this one, but I feel both should have been a two-part movie. Like, if the trilogy had built to these endpoints, if Lucas knew exactly all he was going to put in Revenge of the Sith when he started The Phantom Menace and built to that, if Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace were one movie and Revenge of the Sith two, or if this, if J.J. hadn't, walked away from Star Wars, if he had seen this cohesive vision through and everything that happens here happened in two movies and actually had some importance, I think it would have been a far stronger story to tell. But here, it's weird because it feels like he's trying to cram so much into one movie and yet he's spending so much time on get the dagger. Doesn't matter. Wipe 3PO's memory. Doesn't matter. Chewie dies. Doesn't matter. Hux is the spy. Doesn't matter. He dies instantly after being revealed. Ray impales Kylo. Doesn't matter. He heals him back. Finn sacrifices himself to stop the command ship. He's It's his second time trying to sacrifice himself for the resistance. Doesn't matter. Falcon swoops in. Ray dies. Doesn't matter. Kylo resurrects her. The biggest one. A to B to C to D to get the map that's crushed. They go through all these machinations to get the Wayfinder. Doesn't matter. We end up with Wrens. The whole MacGuffin chase didn't matter. And that's really, really frustrating. That's why I'm... Yeah, I think you're right saying this is kind of on par with Transformers. Because, yeah, it's a big, loud, bombastic action sci-fi film. Does it matter? Eh, I don't know. JJ's instinct is louder, faster, shoot everything while running. I wish I cared where they were running to. They're running in place, hamsters in a wheel. And it doesn't matter. This movie is here to give you a feeling of intensity that's lacking. And for the people who love the movie, and Stuart, you mentioned some fan service. Listen, I, like Palpatine, like being serviced. Mm -hmm. It feels good to be serviced. Yeah, as long as it doesn't feel patronizing. Yeah, but sometimes you have to look down and pay attention to what's going on. And if it feels good, should it feel good? Are you still doing the right things while it feels good? This is why I had to see the movie three times. Because when I walked out, I was like, you know, it's a really weak recommend. Really, really weak. Because I felt like the last hour redeemed with the first 90 minutes didn't. Second watching and third watch. Second watching, I'm like, okay, now that I know where things are going, I'm really frustrated still by the whole empty MacGuffin chase. But... It's not as painful as the first time where I felt like it was endless. Where you don't, When you're in a tunnel and you don't know how long the tunnel is, it could feel like you're in it forever. And then when you finally know your distance, getting through it's a little faster. So the second viewing was better than the first. The third viewing better still. I actually came to be able to enjoy some of the character moments like 3PO has and like Adam Driver has in those scenes, while I still think the scenes are pointless and thus, but I'm able to enjoy the character work going on in them. So I'm able to find things I like on that third viewing in the parts of the movie that overall I don't like. 
Yeah, I, that makes sense to me completely. You, what you, you answer your own question. What is there to love about this movie? You can still love the characters. Yeah. yeah, but I never felt any of the characters in this movie were lovable in any part of the trilogy. Poe, Ray, Finn, and Ben never got their due in this trilogy, whereas if I had loved the first two installments and really come to care about these characters, I would have just reveled being with them this time. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's weird to me that people who hate The Last Jedi love this one because they're still spending time with the characters that they didn't like spending time with last time. I put this right on par with The Phantom Menace as acceptable Star Wars. Okay. So... Thank you to everyone who joined us for this podcast. This is the final new release of a big year, but we still have one new show coming out, just not a weekend of release review. We're, yes, we're not jumping right back to our King Kong retrospective series. It's the holidays. There's snow on the ground outside as we record this. So what about a nice winter-themed movie? And honestly, when I think of spending time with my family, all I think of is misery. <laughs> I do believe that coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing Stephen King's Misery next Tuesday as a New Year's Eve podcast and a wrap on a year where we've done quite a bit of Stephen King this year. And then after that, we get back to Kong with the Japanese films, King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, I have a soft spot for these ones. I mean, maybe they're not as classic as 1933, but it's where I actually first fell in love with Kong fighting Godzilla. And then if you want to just put your headphones on while spending time with the family this Christmas, A, you can become a patron. Brock Stewart and I reviewed Flash Gordon last Friday. It is our 34th patron-exclusive review. So if you become a patron for $10 or more, you're actually getting 39 shows right now. You get our Silver Level Donation series that we did, which was the two-parter. The three I Am Legends and two Zombielands. And you also get 34 exclusive patron reviews. That would fill your entire Christmas day. You could pop in an AirPod and just nod at grandma the whole day and never have to hear a word that your family says. <laughs> Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, both probably. And then this Friday, we return to our gold level donation series with two grudge films. That's right. Between Christmas and New Year's, you're going to get three now playing podcasts, two Juwan, and then, of course, Misery. Yeah. You choose between the light side and the dark side. This weekend, choose between White Ghost or Black Ghost. I'm not sure there's a winner there, but we'll find out. And thank you for everyone who supported our show this year. We've got a big next year coming up. Some of that schedule is on our website. We've got some big plans for 2020. It's supporters that make it happen. So anyone who can support the show by being a patron or by donating for our fall donation drive, we would greatly appreciate it. We've got the new Grudge film coming up, and then we're doing the Rush Hour trilogy for our platinum-level donors. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for this final jump to light speed. And the podcast will be with you always. What are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Star Wars retrospective series. Use your help out there. Really bad, actually. Really bad. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Well done. I like it. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at SWActionNews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. 
and come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Got one! How many are left? Too many! Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. In the event that I do not return, I want you to know that you have been a, a real friend or two. My best one, in fact. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. What is he asking for in return? You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. It's an instinct. The Force brought us together. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. We're all in this till the end. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Looks like an excellent job, sir! Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Do me a personal favor. Be optimistic. Associate produced by Jason. Pulling the strings. Always in the shadows from the very beginning. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Will this agony ever end? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. This mission is everything. We cannot fail. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Don't tell me what things look like. Tell me what they are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved.
Death and Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Seventh Seal? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not The Seventh Sign. That was Demi Moore. That was exactly what I was doing. I'm like, not the Demi Moore movie, right? (laughs) I always did that in the 80s and 90s. 